0: I've never had a book
1: do this to me before, like The Grace of Kings, where I was left so satisfied and the book was so it, good, good, good ending, good, good job, <laughs> that I genuinely don't want to read on right now. I do not have the innate urge to read book two. Imagine you read Fellowship, and at the end of Fellowship, they toss the ring at, into Mount Doom. And you're like, oh, that was a great story. It's great over. story. We're
0: done. We're, we're done <laughs> here. <laughs> welcome, welcome, everyone, to the Tudor Round podcast. My name is Richard. My name is Austin. And today we're talking about The Grace of Kings. This is a book
1: review. Oh, yeah. This is book one of the Dandelion Dynasty. I, apparently there's four books. This was the first one we're going to give spoiler-free for the first 10 minutes or so, then get into spoilers. And do you want, not spoilers on the book, but Rich, give us a little tinkle, tinkle-totter-feely, little feely-feely. Feely feely.
0: What do you think about the book? I quite enjoyed this book. Me too, So sir. Me too. I'm too. excited to talk about this one. It's going to be mostly a gushing, a big discussion oh, over yeah. the plot, because this, this is a dense book. We and do have a new little format we're going to try, and we'll explain that. But first, a quick
1: shout-out to The Man Orchestad from our Patreon, who picked this book for our monthly Discord Patreon exclusive in the comments, in the description. You can see if you want to join
0: us. (laughs) If you want to join us for a book club once a month, go ahead, click the link down below. That's where we do it. It's a lot of fun. We actually talked about this book for the past month. Oh, yeah. And to give
1: quick spoiler-free on The Grace of Kings, Mm -hmm. what does Richard think? What does Rich say to, hey, audience out there, when you come, and you listen to our opinions. Unfortunately, Rich is also here. For the very few people out there who come and decide their next TBR of why should they pump this to the top if it's that good of a book, is it is it bumped to the top
0: of your to read list worthy? I think so. And specifically for the person who's been reading a lot of fantasy and has been getting this in their head of going, man, you know, I've read this kind of story before. And uh-huh. just going through fantasy books and going. That's another one I've seen again, and it's more that that westernized style of story. You want something new. I just like how your pretentious voice just sounds like you. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I am pretentious. That is me. It's like, you know, the typical person's like, I've had enough of this. Like, that's what you sound like. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that's the biggest takeaway I got from this is a fresh take, a fresh angle on the fantasy genre, at least... Of course, from a Westerner's perspective. Yeah, I imagine if you're from, if you're someone from the East, Eastern culture, this is not as new to you. But it was new to me, and that that makes it great. I, I'd say to give three
1: general thoughts of: Is this book for you? Mm-hmm. And what is the Grace of Kings? What should you expect going in? Number one, this book is extraordinarily dense, and I don't just mean long. There are longer books than Grace of Kings, but Ken Liu. Ken Liu Ken Liu the author could have made what he did in this one book into a trilogy very a- easily. am i wrong there like, very easily could, could have been have a trilogy been a, a quintology <laughs> an encyclopedia knowledge full of what is contained in this book mm-hmm. and that's not that's not a bad or negative thing it's just it's so dense where so much time goes by
0: and there's a lot of moving parts in this yeah there's a lot of jumps in time yeah. where you would think, oh, man, a whole book could be like this first part. But mm-hmm. no, he skips, he cuts. It's so efficient for what he actually writes. Yes. There's no there's no wasted moment <laughs> in this book. He can't waste any
1: moment. The reading experience itself as well helps with the density of the book. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I was about to say, Density. I don't know, the emphasis pronounce things. That I was I like midway, you know, when you're midway through a word and yeah. you don't trust yourself to finish the word, you're looking for it. That's, that's what I went through. Sure. Quick little blip. <laughs> so the, the second portion about this book, the reading experience, the prose is what I would say is biblical,
0: not biblical as <laughs> in like, this is as good as the Bible or no, it doesn't use it's... like thys and thous. None right. of that. It's that it's kind of top-down parable approach to storytelling. Well, first of all, you said not good, as good as the Bible. We haven't rated the Bible yet.
1: We haven't done a Tudor Ramble <laughs> rating of all the religious texts: oh, Bible, Lord. Torah. <laughs> That's
0: just just imagine. Oh yeah, let's do a tier list of religious texts. That'll go well. Like th- they really didn't check off's gun. Jesus
1: walking on water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so with the, so the reading experience is parable esque where it has this third-person omniscient point of view Mm -hmm. where you are put in the scenes and you're you're kind of seeing the story from the perspective of the gods in this story, which is pretty neat. And because of that, there are points in this novel, I don't know if you felt the same, Rich, there's points in this novel that could have came off as a deus ex machina, like, oh, where'd that come from Mm -hmm. in any other story? But because of the way this is written, because of the density of the book, it's
0: totally fine. It's totally passable. Oh, yeah. Several times in this book, I thought to myself of, Man, if this was in any other book or was written any different way, mm-hmm. I would hate it. But for some reason I really like it in this book. Yes. Yeah. And that was a fun experience for me.
1: And that goes to what you're saying to the the person out there that's saying, hey, I've read this before. This is different in that way. It's yeah. got a an interesting way of writing. Ken Lu has an interesting way of writing. It has such density in this book. And my last point, mm. and this is my most curious thing, I've never had a book do this to me before, like The Grace of Kings, where I was left so satisfied and the book was so good, good, good ending. Good, good job that (laughs) I genuinely don't want to read on right now. I do not have the innate urge to read book two. And that is not a diss on the book. It is more of a, he didn't end it in a bittersweet way. It just ended in a conclusive. Okay. I just read the story. Yeah. Um, Imagine you read fellowship and at the end of fellowship, they toss the ring into Mount
0: Doom. And you're like, oh, that was a great story. It's great over. story. We're done. We're, we're done <laughs> here. <laughs> did you get the same feeling? I did. I have no desire to read the next books in the series other than Ken Liu was, is such a good writer yeah. that I'm like, I got to read more, more of their stuff. And apparently,
1: I just saw this on one of our Instagram comments from Shelf Center, another fellow BookTuber out there, mm-hmm. said apparently people say book two is not just a better novel, but some, some people's favorite novel ever. It's Damn. one of those. So, although we don't have that innate urge to read on right now, th-
0: this was, it's such a satisfying end. We will continue on with it. Yeah. At some point, I know I'm going to be reading the other books. It's just, I kind of want to break. I've was <laughs> very happy with the conclusion that I just want to let it marinate there. Mm-hmm. And then I will continue on when I'm like, I want something fresh and new again. Also, when we're older and wiser, because there's a lot of wisdom is passed down in this book. A lot of, a lot there's,
1: of what? what there's you some say wisdom,
0: there? but I will say, I got the impression on yeah. a couple instances. There's two particular messages that this book projects that I'm I'm not sure if it's the character projecting this message or the author projecting the message. Okay.
1: And if it is the author,
0: I think it's wrong. Okay. If it's the character, I'll be like, okay, interesting. Let's see where that goes.
1: Well, we can talk about emotional impact, right? Yeah. Like the messages of the story, because I don't want to get into spoilers yet, mm-hmm. because I want to give you a chance as well do you think I covered most of it if going into this book someone should expect those things and what kind of reader would like this book you're saying the person that has kind of read a lot
0: of fantasy would enjoy this I wouldn't say yeah. someone that's first-timer right no I, I wouldn't say this is a intro to modern fantasy book mm-hmm. this isn't your Red Rising like Red Rising is a great intro to get into uh, sci-fi I and just that's not our... a knock on Red Rising that's just that it's one POV you can kind of follow like there's not a lot of yeah. complex stuff you can pick it up put it down and you understand where everything is i just know 50 percent
1: of our audience cringes when they hear red rising they're like, oh i know they're like I, I clicked on a non-red rising video and they're Fine. talking about Mistborn. it again <laughs> Missborn
0: is a great intro to go. modern fantasy yeah yeah because it's one pov pretty simple to pick up and understand mm. this not so much i i found myself having to and, oh i can't even imagine for you
1: character names
0: yeah no thank <laughs> Thank Good God luck. it was, I was listening to the audiobook on this, on this, uh, read through and oh, thank God, because it's just another person pronouncing the names for me and I could audibly recognize them and go like, got it. Nice. If I had to read it and memorize the name myself, I would be lost. Mm. But for some reason I can recognize it if it's an audio name. Like if someone tells me the name in the book, I'll remember the name. Right. Versus if I'm reading it, I'm just not going to remember it well. So is
1: it something that has to do with the visual versus audio, the sensory?
0: Something with that is how your brain works? I guess so. If I'm reading a name, I won't remember it very well. If If I I listen to the name, I'll remember it better.
1: Nate. Nate.
0: Uh, You and I, as far as the Grace of kings go,
1: seem to be in the the grace of kings the public reception is a little strange because it has a 3.77 on goodreads that's low it's it's low for a goodreads rating but when you look at who's rated it so people like matt's fantasy reviews another booktuber Mm -hmm. i think Patrick read this i don't want to quote him on that or but you look at booktubers booktubers love this book Mm -hmm. but a lot of the general public there there's it's pretty divisive some people really don't like the style Mm. But for our case, in our little echo chamber of our Patreon members, they everybody loved it. That's the first one in a while that everyone loved. <laughs> everybody loved. And we had Teapot, for example, and her patrons, she said that, and she's exactly right, this is not a character journey book. It's more of people living their life book, like following <laughs> lives rather than going through a character. They, there is a journey, but the way to describe it is more you're watching phases of a person's life. Yeah. And we had, everybody had pretty good things to say. Orkish Dad, who, this is one of his favorite series ever. I think his favorite series. Everybody had good things to say. What have you heard
0: about this book before going in? Honestly, I heard nothing. Yeah, all right? I, I think I saw it a few times in BookTube of like, hey, this is a great book. But I had nothing going into the book. These only came out, I think, in 2019. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're right. But damn. That's a, so, <laughs> it's a really recent book, which is, is surprising.
1: It is. And so you want to officially get into what you scored, your official Rambler rating. For the the official
0: of Richard Rambler rating. Yes. The RRR. The RRR. <laughs> I gave it an 8. Uh sorry. Oh. A 7.80 oh. out of 10. Just when you
1: thought Rich would have given something an 8. <laughs> so 7.8 <laughs> out of 10. Yep. Very nice. I gave this book a 7.25 out of 10. We're both wow. right there. Good book. Solid book. book. You're not going to see us. We're not... This isn't my usual reaction where I'm absurd and I'm falling in love with a book. It's not Richard's usual reaction of, I hate it. We're very, just a solid time. Yeah. If you're looking for a solid time, you want to go read a book that has a very expansive world and you can, this is a book that someone
0: like Rich, you, mm-hmm. would love to talk about with somebody. Oh yeah. This is a talking book. This is, if you're looking for a book to go for your book club and you don't want just member berry stuff like, yeah. oh, that was a cool scene. Like I don't know about you, but when we read a book for a book club yep. and it's mostly just like an action book, which is fun, an action book's fun to read by yourself. Trying to do an action book for a book club doesn't work very well. That's a short book club of, oh, that action scene was cool. Oh, that action scene was real cool. Like, there's not much to talk about. <laughs> all right, all right. This book great book club discussion so in, in many your opinion
1: things. where is the best place to discuss a book besides you know intimately with me on this pod studio
0: well i a second would, best place i would say our book club but mm. then that would be like the third self-promotion <laughs> the past five minutes <laughs>
1: <laughs> just, just keep yeah ours just keep going hammer it in the description below <laughs> so where would you say besides those two places where's the best place to just talk about a book not a bookstore somewhere cool and you oh
0: keep, well normally you've I like to talk about books in the fast food line, at uh you know the drive-through.
1: Oh yeah, with with the person, the car behind you,
0: car behind me, or you know if there's a long line at the uh, drive-through, you talk to the uh the employee at this at the Chick-fil-A.
1: So when they ask for your order, you say you know order. How can I
0: think about order when there's just chaos in this world exactly. of the grace of? Chaos? So you just transition. I just gotta it. say. Chick-fil-A's customer service is so so Mm top-notch that they will get somebody on there that's read the book that you've read just so you can have a chat with them. I could see it. I could see it. It's excellent customer service. That was such a curveball response fast food line (laughs) that I respected a lot greatly. Why did you think of that? Did you you eat there today or? No. Just your brain's. My brain always has Chick-fil-A somewhere (laughs) in some corner of my mind. Now, if we were
1: to cheer, I promise we'll get right back to the book after this. Yeah. I I always have to ask, the
0: tier ranking of McDonald's, Wendy's, and Burger King, where are you at? McDonald's, Wendy's, and Burger King. I will say, Burger King has just now Mm -hmm. jumped to the top of my list for one one reason. What what do they sell now? Nostalgia. They brought back the snack wrap. (laughs) As a kid, that was my favorite thing in McDonald's, is the snack wrap. And they got rid of it, and now Burger King brought it back. They're back on top. And it's the exact same as... What my memory serves. So it's good. It's now mm. back on top for nostalgia reasons, but that one, then Wendy's, then McDonald's. I, I would agree
1: with that or except Burger King's is last. That's that's all. But what do I know? All right, you want to get into spoiler time, spoiler territory? I think so. Spoiler warning click off if you have not read this book or if you are going to continue on. Rich and, you and I. you don't care about spoilers. It, well, yeah. it, Rich and I have a new little system here. Where do you want to explain that real briefly and how? So you can yeah. stick around. So,
0: Spoilers not yet. Wait another minute or two. and We we'll actually got a comment that both from the internet, from mm. you guys, and then also someone from our Patreon, and also my own mother. And so put it, let's put some thought behind it. Is when we talk about this book in the spoiler section, we're talking about certain scenes or characters. Mm. We don't often give the context of it because we're generally assuming that people have read the book then and understand what we're talking about. Mm. But that's not the case for everyone. So, after we talk about our emotional impact, how we felt about the book, we're going to go right into plot and really break down every segment of the plot and give our thoughts about it, giving you guys context of what we're talking about. So, we'll yep. generally summarize the plot before going into further details.
1: Right. We'll do characters after plot which is a big change up because we tend yep. to ramble too much and stick too true to our name. Yeah. If we did it the other way. Let's see how this goes, okay? Mm-hmm. So spoiler warning, we are now going to be talking Grace of Kings spoilers. Are you ready, Richard? I am ready. Emotional
0: impact, what would you give it out of 10? I gave the emotional impact an 8 out of 10. What That's did great. you give it? I gave it a 7. 7. Very, okay, good, solid good, score. Good, solid score. What really pushed it up to that 7? What made <clears throat> it go from good to great? Good to, well,
1: good to great, yeah. I, I would say a couple big things. So the message of this book. Let's talk about some messages first, because besides just being satisfied by it, one message I got was take risks and gamble. From yeah. you know, Kunigaru. <laughs> he's a gambler. And even the god at the end says he took the whole gamble and that scene at the end where the gods show up mm-hmm. and he says, you know, I listened to a Kunigaru essentially. So taking risks and taking chances was very neat. But the the biggest message I got from it was Kunigaru's leadership style. So message on leadership and being a good leader truly means that you can't do every task perfectly. Like leaders aren't you, like imagine a real world leader. You mm-hmm. can't do the tax policy and foreign affairs and X, Y, Z and science. And this, so you delegate to people who are smarter than you. And Kunigaru is a collector of people and he chooses specifically, Hey, you're the best at this. You're the best at this. You're the best at this. The only difference is that Kogo Yellow or Kogo, is the biggest deus ex mach is, in
0: the whole book
1: is the best of <laughs> everything
0: best. he's the best person period so
1: it shows you the, the message that i got from this book was one delegate as a leader that's the best mm-hmm. way to and be charismatic and you're, you're supposed to be a people person not, you're not supposed to know it all but yeah. two this the consequences of that is remember that one portion of the book where kogo was gone for a week yeah. That and then <laughs> Cooney broke down. He's like, everyone I relied on, it's over. Help. Like, what
0: would you do, for example, if one day I just disappeared? How would, how would this work? You just, well, first, there you, would be the party. You could, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it would be at least a three day <laughs> rager. <laughs> and then I'd actually have to go out and, like, replace you. But, you know. Well, I mean, you already know your dad would, in a heartbeat. Oh yeah, the the <laughs> every
1: comment that just kept going on that video, like man, Richard's dad did a phenomenal job. I'm like, I know, <laughs> <Let's stop. laughs> he did a great job. So part of the the message I got from the book was a cool little nugget on leadership and so forth. That's one thing. But for you,
0: what message did you get? Why was it emotionally high or low for the Grace Kings? So emotional. For my emotions sake, there were several plot moments that were just so satisfyingly rich Mm. and just made my head go spinning of like the what ifs Mm. and how creative it was. So we'll get that into in plot, but there were also moments where um, I was like actually in my car just going like, no, Cootie, no, God. Damn it. (laughs) I just, I was rooting for, and I was really falling in love with the characters. So when the characters were making bad decisions or being swayed and tempted, I was invested in them. Neat. As for the message of the story, I think one of the biggest messages that the author is trying to show is uh, basically progress over, like, let the past die kill it if you must you know a little star wars of it it's throwing away tradition and that tradition holds you back and hmm. traditional wisdom convention all that stuff is stupid it it got to a certain point that was almost a little heavy-handed which point is that the end oh. <laughs> <laughs> i i think i see some cases
1: where that's true but i don't know if that's entirely the case at least how, how I read into it where well, I think another big message of the story is the passing of time and war and conquest so what what emperor Mapiadery am I saying that so wrong Mapitare Mapitare that sounded that sounded nice yeah. that was the I, way listen, you... I listened to the audiobook ah, and <laughs> I read it physically and went, yeah completely butchered it so the war and conquest and the things the means to the end the things you have to do in order to to take over nations like like they did The consequences of that is you create vendettas from all these people around in the Mm Tiro states in this case, but any evil action you do to somebody will come back to kind of bite you and the passing of time where, whether it's with Pyrrha, the character Pyrrha who we'll talk about in characters, um, whether it's Mata and how he was disaffected previously by, by the whole empire, but... The the stages of war and what happens in the past, some things even get completely forgotten about. Like Hugo, and the people that started it, the Prophecy of the Fish, those two guys. Oh, that was... Huno, Huno Krima, was it? And Shogun, Shogun?
0: I, I have here, it was... Yeah. Oh, God. Do I not have... I, I wrote these down.
1: I think it's Huno Kriga. Huno who, who Krima. Huno, Huno
0: Krima yeah. yeah. and... Um... And the other guy, yeah, who's right. basically forgotten about, but <laughs> Hudo Krimas becomes king bit later, right? So it, I see what you're
1: saying with some of the. We'll get more into plot details with more mm-hmm. tradition versus progress, but it's a big, it's a big scope on how war affects so many different layers of society and why, why death begets death begets get death in a certain way as well. Mm-hmm. But want to get into so what do you mean by your tradition versus progress? Are you talking more about toward the end of the book where it's open, well progressing with society like more equality.
0: So not forth? not just that it's when it comes down to it by the end of the story you kind of start seeing things click into place mm. that the heroes or the virtu- the virtuous ones or the winners are the ones that reject tradition and uh, conventional wisdom and that basically anything traditional or known is wrong. So it gets almost into the ridiculous level by the end where so of course the reason why Mata fails mm. is not only does he not listen to anyone but he is stuck in the ways of the no- noble tradition that he has in his head and he's so stuck in his ways that it's is detrimental that he can't actually think his way out of a paper bag. Mm. that you have even further below the uh the philosopher king guy who just literally follows the old philosopher text as so to a T that he's actually just stupid (laughs) and that Rin is able to beat him because like, I literally have his playbook and this is stupid. He's making stupid moves. So all throughout it, it's all the people who listen to tradition lose Mm -hmm. and all the people that are open-minded and are willing to throw away tradition. In every sense and throughout society, those are the ones that win.
1: I see what you mean. I,
0: I can see that message in there. Totally. Yeah. And okay. so where I'm hesitant on the message on whether or not that is this the characters, is this the author? Because in for this book particularly, for the most case, almost everything that they change about society is good. That's that's the message of the story. Like everything they decide to change about society works out perfectly in the end every new system they figure out is just infinitely better technologically um economy everything Mm. where that becomes where i start to get that is that's not how it works like change is inevitable and happens but not every change is like positive direction that's why conventional wisdom exists and like you need to be open-minded to change but you don't Okay. Change everything for the sake of changing. Yeah, yeah. Some stuff is tradition before a reason, and you need to understand why. Mm. And so that's where it's, it's kind of strange. And it, I wonder if that's the message of the author or this book. And it could be very interesting in the next books where they've changed some stuff and they've will realize the folly of like, oh, there was a reason why this system exists in the first place. Mm. So that's the that's what I'm curious about in the next. It,
1: that's interesting that that message that you got out of it. I think we are two messages kind of inter- intertwine a little bit. Where mm-hmm. you know, Cooney's leadership style, yeah, the way I interpreted the book as well. The, the thing that stuck out and blared out to me was that Cooney's open mindedness, like you were saying, open mindedness, his open mindedness and able to trust others and willing to, hey, half the population females are, are just cast aside. So, why, why not yeah. have inventors and so forth? So, his ability to be a good leader and open mindedness versus Mata's stubbornness and corrigibility. That was a better leadership style, which led to a, a which is win, true. win strategy. So I, I totally I see what you totally yeah. see your point no, no, too. That that's oh look at us, look at us
0: seeing points. Yeah, no, but I I, I, saw I think
1: that. I think that's how I looked at it. And then in retrospect, now I think you're also correct.
0: So it, here's the thing: it's not it's not every single moment of the book. Yeah, the things where I'm it took me out of the story just a smidge was mostly by the end because all the changes going up to it are kind of obvious, and like, hey, that was a great change, Mm. but, and it felt real in the story, but then when, by the end, there were some moments where they're, they're making, like, technological leaps forward, because of, like, and I'm going, like, okay, how much of this is, like, an ass pull? I don't know, (laughs) like, oh, look, we've, we've opened up our site. we're so open-minded that we're creating all these amazing things, and I'm like, it it just was real convenient that everything was going their way and like there was no obstacles.
1: It goes back to the convenience of it and those ex-machines, like the quickness of things. Yeah. Kind of just gets such a pass in my book because of how it was written mm-hmm. and because of how dense the book is. The The way he wrote it made it almost seem like it wasn't too forced because of the expectations that can lose set at the beginning. Yeah. At the same time, sure, it did happen quick. Yeah.
0: No, because there are plenty of them that didn't feel that way, but then mm-hmm. some of them felt differently. It okay. just depend depended on the moment, right? Like the moment I really enjoyed was Gia kind of pointing out the obvious of, hey, you're in a weak, you are in a weak strategic position. Mata is discounting all people with, uh, like all women, all uh, men who are not nobles or lower birth. Like he's discounting all these people. They are just as desperate as you. You're gonna have an easier time pulling them to your side. Yeah. So. Be more accepting of who you let into the fold. And you know, women are half the population. There's bound to be talent in half the population. And he's like, oh yeah, that's Yeah. That's point. smart. And Mazo
1: <laughs> could have never gotten that message because Mato would just close off any yeah. new idea that comes his way. Well. Hence the progress part. Exactly. Of you're and there about. I see what you mean. Plenty of
0: great moments with that and the characters that Cooney brings to his side. And like I really liked um G, uh, we'll get into characters in, in a second, but I really liked uh, Gia the Marshal. Okay. Really liked her character. Jyn Gin, Gin Marshall? Jyn. Yeah, Jyn, not He's Gia. Gia's separate character. Yeah. yeah. But I liked Jyn quite mm-hmm. a bit. But what came with that is a character that was like, oh yeah, I created a thing to basically me- like melt rock. <laughs> and so they basically created underwater... Submarines, uh, essentially? Yeah. They made submarines. Yeah. They made uh, these tunnels using water pressure. Yeah. Uh, I was like... Okay, okay, that's a little quick. <laughs> that's, a, that's a little
1: quick. And you love your world building. You love your technical, ooh, I'd like I, to see how I this love works. the
0: discussion, but it felt so fast, and I'm like, okay, this is a little ridiculous.
1: I'm not even kidding, though. The way this was written, a thousand years could have passed, and I would have been like, okay, acceptable.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was quick progress.
1: <laughs> so you want to get specific, let's talk plot, yeah. plot time and see how this new structure works, where plot, would you give it out of 10?
0: Yeah, go back to my page.
1: <laughs> I can start with my. I gave plot a 7 out of 10. Same I gave it book. a 7.75
0: out of nice. 10. Nice, nice. A lot of this is going toward there's no fat on this book, and it's just impressive. So yeah. I really enjoyed the plot. I couldn't give it into that 8 because of my questions, of belief, where I was kind of taken out of the book during some sections, especially by the end. Mm. But other than that, I really, really enjoyed the plot. Yeah, to your point with, the um, again,
1: how thick this book is and how much mm-hmm. goes on in this and the fact that he didn't make a trilogy out of it and just said, hey, we're cutting all the fat. Yeah. Now, everything you read is just going to be part of the story here. yeah there's You can't name a chapter, most likely, where
0: you could just cut it and it would, the story would be the same. Yeah, so let's get right into it, the plot. Okay. We'll talk about it. So part one. Yeah. Part one starts off with... Kunigaru, as a young teenager, watching the emperor come by, and the assass- the kite assassin, this assassin that's on just a lone kite, yeah. comes down and firebombs the emperor. The emperor survives, but it's that moment of Mata realizing the emperor is a man. He's mortal. He was scared. And that gives him an interesting moment to start his growth and to... Basically, not put that those nobles and that those higher people on a pedestal. He don't, mm. he, no longer puts the emperor on that same pedestal. And can see himself there one day.
1: And that with that assassination attempt, that was a good way to start the book. As opposed to think think if you're writing this, mm-hmm. you could have picked. Okay, well, let's start with the rise of Emperor Mapiaderi. Let's start with oh. the conquest. That could be a good. They could have incident. done
0: a, a, just an info drop of yeah. the rise of Zana, right? Which they didn't do, which, thank God, they didn't do. Or start, start
1: somewhere at a later point where Kuni and Mata are already older. But the, the assassination attempt immediately goes, okay, you're asking the question, why is someone trying to assassinate the emperor? Mm-hmm. So, something's, so there must be evil, some, something's afoot here. Someone that's that passionate about killing the emperor on a kite <laughs> could throw in a fireball like Dragon Ball. And then you're just going, why? Why is he doing that? So it was a good little hook to get you into a book which could have easily started off with, like you're saying, here's all the Tiro states. And that's
0: not to say that chapter one's not heavy with world building and a lot of info. But it's built in. It's built 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 into the plot rather than info dumped completely. But then we get to see Mata as well. And what an interesting start with Mata. So you kind of get his backstory on this noble lineage and he and his uh, uncle escape and his uncle now has to raise him but raises him the opposite way of he was raised he knows that he was cowardly and wasn't raised in a noble way and so he's like i swear i will make mata like the bravest most noble warrior ever that i could never be and raises him that way and you get to see Mata see the Emperor and this vow of revenge. And it's such a standard setup where I, would, I thought I knew exactly the story this that it was going to go. I thought initially like Mata was going to be the main, main POV. And we're going to see him go on a revenge tour to take Almost down... hero's
1: journey. Yeah, it started of time, off
0: yeah. of like, you think that's going to be the hero's journey right. storyline. And we don't get that particular... I, I was also...
1: Locked in on okay, of course Mata and Kuni are going to be best buds, which kind of went that way, but then kind of <laughs> kinda did it afterward. Because this talk about this the the whole catalyst to this whole story, mm-hmm. right? After we get introduced to Kuni and Mata, the catalyst is a fish. <laughs> yeah, right, it's, right off the get go, <laughs> it's a fish, right? It's a fish. Where who know who know the the names that we're awful at, who know who know They they essentially cut open a fish, stuffed this little scroll in it. And have this whole little, and they say, hey, it's from the gods and so forth. The gods say, i be king. This little nugget <laughs> r- starts this whole entire rebellion against the Xana Empire, right? Yeah. And I don't know if I'm skipping anything there, but essentially the, the rebellion is growing
0: and it starts from this spark
1: of them lying
0: and putting this scroll in a fish. Well, to right before that, yeah. we're going into part two of the book. Yeah. It starts off with uh, Kuni uh, meeting, um, meeting Gia and so you get that yep. little love story and i was down oh that. so down i was so happy with and so intrigued with the promise that he makes her of i promise to always make the most interesting decision in mm-hmm. life like you may not always be happy but i'll definitely make the most interesting choice right loved that great introduction um that we get to see Ma- Ma Peter, emperor Mapitare meet the gods and how did you feel? Like, what did you think when that scene happened? Because I was under the impression, like, I didn't know if the gods were like really real, or was this just an interpretation? Was this just a dream? What did you feel when you I first immediately had that scene? thought it was real? Okay.
1: Because it it, it it the way the book I think it was the way the book was written again, and it's a very omniscient point of view. And as soon as I saw the gods there, it hooked me as where I would have been disappointed if it wasn't real, if there wasn't truth to it. Mm-hmm. Is then it would have just been like a useless kind of dream sequence that he's thinking in his head. I don't think that would have been a compelling narrative. So I just, I wanted to
0: believe it was real and good thing it was yeah. in the world. It was an interesting setup where I thought it was, I thought the gods were going to play. I have a light hand. <laughs> In the world, <laughs> like, let's just move. No. <laughs> that was they have a heavy.
1: They, they didn't just whisper, like, hey, move your pawn, move your knight to f4. No, they they moved the piece for you. Yeah, and we're going like <laughs> checkmate. <laughs> Especially later on when it gets to Tazo and his whirlpool. But with, with this section here, you have the introduction to you have Gia and Cooney's love story, very cute. And you know, Gia's denying everybody except for she wants somebody interesting, somebody that's yeah. not your regular noble. And yeah. Cooney has this character shift right there in the plot where he's your noble bandit. You're kind of Robin Hood-esque. He's got a heart heart of, heart, of gold. heart of gold, but hands of steel. And they go around, <laughs> and this changes him and changes mm-hmm. his trajectory. And so as we get his development and the rebellion starts to grow with...
0: Is this the fish moment where we have the... Yep, then okay. we have the fish moment. <laughs> yeah. And that was with uh, Huno Karima starts the rebellion with a fish. With a fish, yes. <laughs> with a fish.
1: And for those who have read, literally, just the, these two guys cut open a fish, stuff a
0: scroll in there, and say, "So uh, Hunokrima will be king.
1: Yeah. There we go. And then everyone sees, like, oh my god! <laughs> he will be king. It's the prophecy. It's basically someone opening a fortune cookie
0: being like, okay, this is the law of the land. <laughs> to be fair, the setup is that Hunokrima and the other guy that he was shogun, Shigun, Shogun. Shogun were taking their prisoners to, or these conscripts to the emperor's mines, these tunnels, and basically they got caught in the weather, bad weather, and they go, "Oh, we're not going to get there in time, and we're both going to die, and all of our families are dead. Yeah, like there's no hope. Why even bother trying to get there five days late? Mm-hmm. All our families dead, <laughs> and so it's like, well, if you know, bombs it." My family's dead either way. Might as well rebel. Like, let's, let's roll the dice on this. Which kind of shows another fault of Emperor Muppetere's, like, reign of, like, it's his fault that the rebellion can even have this start because it's a ridiculous plan. Mm. But everyone is so desperate that they're willing to even try this stupid thing. And speaking
1: of ridiculous plans, hmm. is this where we start to get into Pira? Fira? Fira?
0: Oh, yeah. That's by the end. That's the end of part That's two. the end of part two. But yeah. before that we get uh Mata and Finn taking back uh the Zindu Castle, which yep. epic battle scene. I I was so hyped for. I was like, okay, yeah, we're getting some mm. Mata revenge story. Mm-hmm. And then we jump away from it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> um then we get the story of Cooney. Oh Cooney c- c- becoming a bandit yeah. and then going from bandit to duke. Mm. And so you get that, which is amazingly quick. How quick did that? Like, I think that happened in a chapter. But it was acceptable. It was accept. That's why I love how little fluff is on this. That so much can happen in so little time. Now, I will say the drawback
1: of that is the reason I'm giving the sevens and eights. It's, it was hard to get uber invested in a character mm-hmm. where you don't have that time to sit and soak with them when it was more focused on the plot than the character yeah. so for for the plot it works well with the plot and getting you mm-hmm. to go from scene to scene and that's also why it comes off more quote-unquote biblical where you're mm-hmm. reading it as if they're parables after they stories and there's
0: nothing bad about that it's a choice that the author makes well and it works it's a plot focused in... book yeah but i still loved the characters he did a great job getting me to
1: care about them that's the amazing thing about it is the characters are not bad in any no. sense of the word. So, so
0: this happens, rebellions growing, they take over Zudi. Yep, takes over Zudi and then we find out that with all this rebellion going on, er, um Arashi, the ma- Lamatiere ma- is killed, assassinated in his sleep basically mm. by his friend and advisor. And Arashi his his, his son, yeah. tiny like newborn son is raised to be emperor. Right. So this old emperor who did all the conquests, and by the way, we didn't
1: mention, but this emperor was trying to live forever, and yeah. his his whole goal was to. He was also having all these huge projects, which is what Hugo and what's his name, Huno, you know, they were they were going to the mines and whatnot to I think assist with one the tunnels, of his, the tunnels. He
0: wanted to connect all the islands with the, underground tunnels. Yeah,
1: because this whole world itself is just a, there's islands here, and there there's what seven, six or seven Tiro states. I believe it's 6. 7 I thought. 7 and that they take over the other 6, yeah. right? So the emperor's son is now in charge, but is he really in charge?
0: <laughs> yeah, so then we get the reveal that Pira actually is the one that basically did all this. He and he kills the emperor, his friend, raises Arashi to the throne and
1: Well, Pyrrha is the emperor's like, assistant, and Advi- yeah. advisor, and when the Emperor dies, this is where he, he's, he takes, like, a little coup.
0: Yeah, right? and he chooses Lugo Krupo to, uh, to help him with the coup, and we get the reason why, is because Pyrrha, and this is, I fell in love with the book at this moment. This was the moment I got sucked in, is we find out that Pyrrha not only wants to destroy the Emperor, is not greedy for power, but... When the, when many years before the emperor, uh, Pyrrha fell in love with one of the emperor's servants and, uh, she became pregnant with his child. And on the day that Pyrrha is going to tell the emperor and ask him, Hey, I've been your friend for all these years. Please let me marry, uh, your servant girl. You, you haven't, you haven't even noticed her. Mm -hmm. Never noticed this girl before. Like, please just tiny favor of mine. (laughs) This is not a big ask. On that same day, the Emperor uh, sees, sees her, and it's like, bedchamber now. And now that the Emperor has slept with her, it, she is now his property. And so their so Pyrrha and her relationship is now illegal and punishable by death. F- the Emperor finds out that she's pregnant and does the math and goes... You are not pregnant with my child. Basically, you have betrayed the Emperor, has her, and the baby executed. And Pyrrha says nothing, because there's nothing he could do. And he vows revenge against the Emperor. And not only the Emperor, but the Empire. He vows to take down the Empire from the inside. So not only is he betraying the Emperor, he's deliberately running things wrong and making poor decisions... So that the empire falls. The great
1: plot element about that is it makes all of the incompetence justified. And so there is a plot reason for the incompetence of the empire which allows
0: the rebellion to prosper. Yeah, because in any other case The Rebellion would have a hard time if the like Mapitere was actually in charge. Mm. No. It would be pretty easy to like, oh I know this rebellion actually send the troops there and actually Yeah. You know. And so Pure does is he puts in charge is it Kendo Morana? No, he puts uh, Lugo Krupo in charge. Kindo? That's the first. That's oh, the, the first guy. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. the uh, like the marshal or okay or the what is what is his title? I, I can't remember his title. I think it's marshal there, okay. but he's in charge of everything. And you think that he's super smart. You get more background on him on. He's just egotistical, just a terrible person, and not that bright. Like, he thinks he's so smart, and he's very close-minded. He thinks he knows everything, even mm. though like, he knows about poetry. He's very knowledgeable about that, and philosophy. Neat. But the, you're saying this message of closed-mindedness continues. Like closed-minded yeah. people fail in this world. Yeah, exactly. He knows nothing of war. He knows nothing of leadership. Knows mm-hmm. nothing about running any kind of empire. So he's perfect for Pira. <laughs> perfect for Pira to, Pira, run, like, to the yes, ground, run this empire down. to the ground. Yeah. So that is that is part two. Okay. We go into part three, and we start off with King Thufi, which is the shepherd yes. who is basically swept along. Somebody somewhere goes, oh, actually, this kid, this shepherd boy was supposed to be the real true king. <laughs> so they pull him along it's like, all right, Again, fine. all of this is like, you'd say this in any other normal book. Yeah. And would be like, wait, what? Where'd, where'd that come from? <laughs> but no, this, it works. Just it trust works. us, it works. Trust the process. <laughs> so then you have that uh, King Thufi is, uh, starts leading the rebellion in mm. seriousness. Then Kindo Morana is the yes. tax collector yes. of, okay. Z- of Zudi. And we have uh, Lugo Krupo is just annoyed with all this talk of rebellion. And he picks out the most annoying guy. And he's like, "Ugh, this is so stupid. I just want to put someone else in charge of this and doesn't care because he thinks the rebellion is nothing. So he's like, oh, I'm going to take the tax collector and make him the leader of the army. So to follow, Pira, who wants to topple the empire from the inside
1: off of a vendetta, a justified vendetta, yeah. appoints this Lupo guy. Uh, Lugo Krupo. Lugo, who is too lazy. So Lugo
0: then says and stupid. <laughs> I'm appointing Kingdom Mar- So we're now three layers deep. Yeah. But the twist of fate and the gods kind of mm-hmm. play this hand mm-hmm. is the gods know that Kingdom Marana actually has some talent. Like he's actually a smart individual. Yeah. He's gone his whole life doing taxes. That's his whole thing. But in many ways, it makes him actually a competent leader when it comes to the army because he yeah. actually takes stock of things. He's logical. And knows how to work things out. Mm-hmm. And also fairly open-minded. He learns things. Right. So that's the gods plant that had their little light hand in making that decision. It's the one good decision that Lugo <laughs> Lugo made <laughs> on accident. On accident, yeah. For the wrong reasons. But then we have um Krima, which was the Hunokrima. Hunokrima.
1: Yeah. He the fish guy. The, the fish guy guy.
0: Yep. Fish guy prophecy. He goes. Becomes new king of a new tier Of state. course, just kind of chaos and like. Of course.
1: All right, I guess. I'll of are. West Kokru, right? He, doesn't yeah. he create his own? Because Kokru is the Tiro state. Yeah. Or, am I wrong in that? Ooh. Yeah. he, Kokuru. And he creates West Kokru.
0: Yep. Okay. And he's kind of just going crazy on power. He is. He's in Demu right now, the city of Demu, mm-hmm. I believe. He has no leadership skills when it comes to army. His army is just a gigantic mob, and when he does things, it's just. He thinks that the whole thing about being a king is you order things to get done in unreasonable time and they will get done because you're king. Mm -hmm. And he's just Mm dumb-dumb. So we have him and we get the moment where Mata is kind of reintroduced again. Mata sees this new king and disapproves. And it's like... Mm -hmm this is... Shows up. He wants to see, like, who is this new king? Yeah, who is this guy that we're supposed to, like... Yeah, and the rebellion. Weird. Like, is this the man I'm supposed to follow, right? And finds, no, this is stupid and ridiculous. Yeah. And you aren't a noble. Of... Like, clearly, noble blood is needed and you are not it. Right. And you confirm my suspicions. Viewers, imagine
1: showing up to a random Q&A and being like, "Oh, who are we listening to today? And it's rich. That's basically how he felt walking. It's like, this? This, this is what I'm getting? This
0: guy is what we get? <laughs> But we we have that. Then we have Kendo Marana actually convinces an old an old general to come back into the fold. General Naman. General Naman, and which is a good decision. This is the first sign
1: as well that Kendo, you know, is Pura is trying to make this all incompetent and destroy the empire. But accidentally, Kendo Morano is actually kind of decent at his job. He's kind of like holding the, this thing together. This tax collector is like, all right, we're actually going to create the bastion of this
0: empire. And he's he's doing his best. He's doing the best he can. He's yeah. against literally his own emperor mm. and also the gods. All of them are against him. And he's somehow holding things together.
1: As the underrated, <laughs> un- un- underappreciated character.
0: Oh, yeah. So he actually gets uh, the convince the old general to join Zana again, but then now Zana's kind of on the winning path. They're, they're picking up speed because then... Right, because the rebellion has taken over Kokuru,
1: that's King Doofy's... The rebellion's starting to grow a bit, and they're getting so big that Kino Morana gets an old general that worked with Emperor Mapiaderi, right? mapitore oh, Damn it, you just say it. <laughs> I don't want to say it, but you do say it really well. I, I hate to say that to you uh-huh. because it's, it's great. <laughs> So he he worked with Mapitore, this old general, and so he has the most experience. Yeah, an actually good general. And he says, hey, come out of retirement, help us. This
0: rebellion is going to topple the emperor that you just helped your whole life. Which, by the way, a great moment for that, which I really, really liked his character, Hmm. is he was talking about his experience as a tax collector. And he's like, the key to being a tax collector is knowing what pressure points to hit on. Uh. That nobody wants to give you money. However, you can't, outright force them or else they'll hide it you have to push the right buttons to get them to do what you want right you have to find out what they care about more than money and push that and then they will give you they will freely give you the money that you, need, you don't even need, need to check yeah so i i love that moment where he's like he's analyzing it that way so then when he looks at the general he's like i know which buttons to push to get you to do what i want mm-hmm. in the same way what do you what do you care about more than your retirement and your and you care about more about your country and your legacy. And that's the button he pushes to right. get him to do what he wants. Very smart. Very yeah. Smart. Then we have a King uh, Krema king dies, the crazy... Fish. Uh, fish, fish guy. guy. Yeah. Fish king. The he crazy is, fish king. That's his nickname now. Yep. Fish king's gone. Yep. And then we had King Thufi, the shepherd boy, names himself precept. And like, hey guys, all you Tiro states... You guys are squabbling over land. We haven't won yet. Let's win (laughs) the rebellion first. Yeah, yeah. Step one. And then then we can quibble about all these little things. Right, right. And then he doesn't make Mata the marshal. And that pisses off Mm -hmm. uh, Mata a little bit. Then we get um, all the way back to, ah, Jesus, (laughs) Cooney. Go back to Cooney and in, in uh, Zudi. Zudi rebels against Ke- uh, Cooney because they think, oh, the Empire's gonna win again, so they kind of kick him out. And that is when Cooney and Mata now join forces to take back Zudi and where they become friends. And yes, what a good bro moment, right? How are you feeling on the Mata and Cooney uh, romance going on. So it it sparks because they have these two opposite personalities where we've
1: seen Mm -hmm. Mata and as this Aurelian's growing, we're seeing that he is the more laser-focused, honor, kill, kill for honor and this kind of chivalry which isn't really, he's just, he's got that physical power over intellect while Kuni is more merciful. Kuni's more open-minded. So while Mata is just for
0: vengeance and blood. Well, his whole thing is might is right. Yeah. If you're... Whoever is stronger is morally right. Mm-hmm. And where Cooney is more on
1: mercy. So as we see their friendship go together and Kuni pulls back and gets this. He gets, he gets Mata to be a good soldier, but not a bad person
0: when he's around.
1: He, he, makes he
0: tempers Mata, him. And, yeah. He makes Mata a better leader. Exactly. And Mata makes Kuni a braver individual mm-hmm. and really brings out that courage in Kuni, which is what he needed. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really loved their relationship in the beginning.
1: When this point hit the book, I'm like, okay, so now I see where it's going. It's going to be that yeah. they're going to take over the empire Kuna, together.
0: Kuno and Mata, they're going to take over the world.
1: One of them might die and it affects the other one. And that, yeah. that's where I was. That's what I was thinking.
0: And I, I'd be thinking that. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so then from there, we find out that. Um, they, they're they trying to defend Zudi and they're actually able to hold it. They're winning against the Empire, and then they go to take the next town. And I believe that was Dimu. So they have so Mata and Kuni now go to take Dimu. And this is one of those moments that you kind of see another layer of Mata's character. Mm. Or at least more of an example of his cruelty, where he makes a threat to the to the town of Dimu, the city of Dimu and says, For every day you don't surrender, I will kill a hundred prominent members of your uh, of your town. And Cooney's like, "What the? (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, whoa, man!" (laughs) And it takes about ten days for them to bring down the walls and take Mm Dimu. And Mata follows through on that threat, despite Cooney like pleading with him. And Mata doesn't just kill, hunt like a thousand people. He buries them alive, and they're screaming under the mound of dirt, and like, oof. You suddenly have a, like, okay, Mata's Mott, not the good guy here. <laughs> he's no longer, like, he's losing a bit of his shine. So I think that was a interesting moment that we had here
1: in the book. Yeah, and the, the way that was described, not in the book, but you just saying that to me. I, I was uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> that was you. Really, you really, you really were super specific when you said
0: buried them, them alive. alive. Like the David Attenborough, could be heard <laughs> for hours.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we see, we see Mata and Cooney still friends,
0: still bros, still bros. But now, where's this going? What point of the plot are we at now? And then we're ended off with Princess Kikumi. Yes, and, and what a great character i really loved her character we only got maybe 2 3 chapters with her but we first see her as you know this this beauty that she's gorgeous everyone thinks of her the most beautiful woman alive mm-hmm. and she is shackled by that beauty that she no one takes her opinion seriously they only see her as a uh, beauty object. But That's it. We are like Princess
1: Kikimi. No one takes us seriously either, but not for our beauty. For different reasons. For, di- <laughs> for different reasons. Very different reasons.
0: <laughs> but she is quite she's quite intelligent. She's, uh has the capacity for great manipulation and mind games, which mm-hmm. she shows off. And then she is threatened and says, hey, look, I'm based... Then you have... Uh, Kindomarana basically threatens her, says, hey, look, if you don't assassinate one of the Zindus, I will torch. Zindus, that's either Mata or his uncle Finn. Yeah. Right? So gives her the choice, which, dumb on his part, Mm -hmm. real dumb on his part, but whatever. Should have went for both or something. Right. But if you don't do that, then I will destroy your city and Mm -hmm. make it it known that you were the reason. Like, you were given a choice. The, uh, you know, the Zindus or your, or your home, and you chose Right, Zindus. and she does play into it. She goes to Zindu, mm-hmm. and
1: she falls in love with, not falls in love, pretends. She, yeah, she, uh, she, she finesses. She finesses with Mata and with Finn, so with the uncle and nephew, mm-hmm. and the ultimate decision, she goes with Finn, because she didn't want to kill Mata. I think she
0: chose Finn because he would have been an easier person to kill for her. Yeah. And she does kill him, well, not just easier. It's interesting how she makes the choice of between Finn and Mata, and she goes, right now, Finn is the yeah. marshal. Yeah, yeah. Yep. However, Mata is much younger, stronger, and given the choice, she thinks that the rebellion has a better, a better chance with Mata at the helm than Finn. Right. So she chooses to take the weaker one out. In many ways, she's showing her favorability mm-hmm. to Mata in this case and she's ultimately correct like mata was the better choice to actually take down the empire so but in that moment she realizes oh this was the plan all along that Ma- if i do this and i it's revealed that i assassinated the uh, zindus over over for my city then the rebellion will torch them as well and like mm-hmm. so she sacrifices her own her own pride her, her own legacy to save her home which one of the more noble noble acts that this entire book and definitely shows the a lot of these characters have a ton of pride and kind of gets in their way especially mata and she's able to throw it away for her home
1: again so throwing not being prideful Mm-hmm. has benefits characters in here. Maybe not just benefits pieces. she didn't do this selfishly, of course. The only people that know what Kakomi did were the readers.
0: Yeah. So the characters... Well, also we had um, Kinda Marana. Also oh, did. yeah. Of course, because he's the one that set this up. And yeah. even he goes at the very end, he was like... Mm-hmm. Man, I'm impressed with her. Like yeah, she, she foiled me. You gotta, gotta respect my last... it. You gotta respect yeah. that she. Come on, man. She even sa- she sacrificed her own legacy. Yeah. to ruin my plan. Right. Wow. Yeah. So I I loved her character. That was a great moment for me. Then we go into part four. Yes. And this is basically the. Is this the banquet uh, scene? Oh shoot! I'm. I I completely forgot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> which portion? So there, there's a lot what we have to do. With we we work. completely missed Co- out some stuff. So Cooney, on that side of thing, gets approached by the assassin. Yeah. Right. So what what's going on in this this area as the rebellion's growing? I ne- we have,
0: oh, Yeah. What? Nearly. I That's skipped okay. a bunch of stuff. That's okay. <laughs> All the important things. Um, we have, of course, uh, Luanzia, which is that assassin you're talking mm-hmm. about. He he and uh, Cooney meet up. And there's a plan. Right.
1: We hadn't seen the assassin since, remember, chapter one, where yeah. he was on this kite trying to attack the emperor, the old emperor who's now dead. Mapitore. Ma, say, say, ma, ma oh, so <laughs> he comes back. Luan, he escaped at that initial one. And now this is like chapter 18 now or something like that. Yeah. They,
0: they he, met him before Akuni met him before he met Mata. But then he's now an advisor to Akuni. And so now, after met him before, was it before Mata? Yeah. So when they're things? kicked okay. out of Zudi, and they're going to go get the uh, rebellion's help to okay. take Zudi back, they meet Luanzia. Okay. And Luanzia comes up a little later, but after Kikumi's betrayal, they're now um, you have the pl- you have the new push towards Zana, and Luanzia comes up with well, a plan.
1: Yeah, I, I thought that he met Luanzia. Pretty, pretty randomly. After he met Mata, I thought it was after that case, right? He met Mata first. I'm almost no. Nope.
0: You sure? Right so, before.
1: Right, oh, so immediately before. Immediately. Because before. I thought when when the assassin met Cooney, like the very next chapter, they went to Tanadu.
0: No, so basically, Cooney is kicked out of Zudi, mm. and they're like, "I'm coming back." And while they're in the woods, going to get to the Rebellion... But he, he hadn't met Mata at that point? Nope. They're going to meet Mata. They're going to the city to go get the Rebellion's help. To go take back Zudi. They meet Luanzia. We get his backstory. And then they meet. They part ways. Then Kuni meets Mata. Okay, and then they so go to Zudi to take it back. That's the, his first meeting with Mata is right after Luanzia. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. I missed missed that part there's a lot of stuff in this book i'm very sorry that it's gets a lot confusing. of details we, we can keep going yeah then you have um, and also let us know if you like this new format where we're going
1: through the plot <laughs> and then so there's context and then so people actually understand
0: the story i think yeah. for this book it was necessary or else there's a lot people get confused i'm even getting confused <laughs> but after Kikumi's betrayal we have we go back to zana and we see pira and krupo kind of a little bit at odds pira now is thinking uh, Krupo's getting a little too big. Right, he's for trying his to topple bridges. the empire, and it's
1: not toppling the way
0: he but wanted it to topple. Not just that, but he's also going, he wants to get me. He's going to try and betray me first. Mm. So before he backstabs me, I'm going to backstab him. Yes. And fabricates uh, evidence that gets Krupo thrown in jail and executed. Mm-hmm. So bye-bye, Krupo. Dumb-dumb. Dumb-dumb yep. philosopher who almost single-handedly toppled the empire. <laughs> Then we have Luanzia's plan right. to take down the emperor, uh, Emperor Erishi. Mm. And so Kuni leaves in the middle of the night, tells no one his plan. He's off. And it turns
1: out that his plan was, th- this is where he'd been the previous years, on this island off, off the coast of the main Tiro states. It's mm-hmm. called Tanadu, correct? Yeah. And on Tanadu, there's these locals there that are a completely different culture. And they, as soon as people show up to the island, we get the backstory with Luan of he showed up there and they welcomed him and they were like best of friends. So he showed up back to the island that he'd been at this whole time that he's been missing from the book with Cooney, right? Yeah. It, and shows up with them and the people on this island, they, there's this cool scene of where they wrestle with each other, they tell stories, it's your classic, oh, okay, bonding and being friends. And then from this is where we find out
0: how they're going to attack the Empire, and they're going to use this sea creature called a Krubin, which is like a whale with a horn. Yeah. A narwhal, basically. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm... Like a large, large narwhal. Very. And That's kind of my They're going to ride in them head.
1: into battle.
0: Yeah. And so they have... Cooney and his strike force on these Krubins yeah. sail to Zana and they basically capture the capital and, well, they go to an island to get an airship to get... Land in the cap. There's details. There's details. There's detail. Details. You know, whatever. Is that the coolest thing to ride into battle on? A whale? Yeah, I think a horned whale. Can anything top that? A dragon? Does dragon top horned whale? Dragon, you see it a lot. Horned whale thing is unique, and I just I have a image of like Captain Jack Sparrow (laughs) just holding onto the.
1: Horn of a, a whale just sailing into battle. You start crossing books.
0: It's the Horn of Valier from Wheel of Time. <laughs> it's like wait, wrong book. It tosses it away. But so Cooney actually takes down the emperor and wins. He win. He wins the rebellion Yay. at the exact same time. Mata is oh at wolf's paw right he's at wolf's paw he's dejected because of kikumi's betrayal and mm-hmm. he's just kind of sulking
1: well the way it goes too is like Cooney's whole thing was they use the whale so forth and they kind of do more of a a, not a, a more special ops mission where they yeah. drop in from the air and they go to the capital city of pan and they get to the emperor emperor and so they have them now they yep. don't have a lot of people. They have like 500 men. But they have the emperor at gun... Po- okay, knife point. They don't have guns in here. But they're like, okay, we have the emperor. We did this. And Kuni's whole thing is he's going, okay, I did this. I can't wait to tell Mata. Like, yeah, he's like, I'm going to send a letter gonna, to Mata. We're going to
0: rule together.
1: Together. This is going to be great. Well, Mata is at this other area called Wolf's Paw. Yep. Where... <laughs> this is part of my French, but
0: shiitake goes down. <laughs> it goes down in Wolf's Paw, right? And Mata basically single handedly does a like a ten to one charge against the enemy. The way the he de- does it, the yeah. way he does it too and in this battle sequence,
1: he's at Wolf's paw he's attacking the general naman and so forth. I think mm-hmm. that's the uh, yeah. General yeah. naman's best army, the this old general who worked was with Mapiradari. Mapitare. Shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> with Mapitare. So he's Imagine he comes down French. Here. That's what <laughs> just think say French. It. Think French and you'll say it right. Mapitare. There you go. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop while I'm ahead. So what he does is, is Mata brings all of his ships here, and he does an art of the war trick from Sun Tzu. So art of the war, one of the tricks is don't close your enemies off. Don't get So always give your enemy an escape, right? As you read art of war. Give mm-hmm. your enemy an escape, an escape because if they don't have an escape, If your enemy is trapped, there's only one direction to go, and that's forward, through you. They will fight with all their heart, and you are the target. So what Mata does is he uses the battle strategy. He burns all the ships that he brought his army on. Says, hey, army, here's all the ships. They're burnt. We either attack or you die. As a leader, probably not the (laughs) most moral of things, but it made his army fight with vigor, just going straight and attacking and led them to win a, a battle they were outnumbered on. Yeah. But I like that the battle strategy is based on something that's actually true. In, yeah. In ba- in, in it, it, is, it is a
0: true battle strategy, yeah. historically speaking. Right. So Mata does this and wins. Yeah. Uh, but slaughter. <laughs> yeah, a lot of debt. But Then even makes a beyond, deal with a god. Yeah. yeah. He, then he makes a deal with, after he survives, he wins the battle. And he captures about 20,000 uh, Zana soldiers. He makes a deal with the gods, uh, specifically, what was that god's name? Tazu. Tazu. And sends 20,000 soldiers out into the ocean to drown. Which the gods <laughs> have this pact where they're not supposed to be
1: involved. Which, Yeah. <laughs> And so one of the other gods is they're like, they're not
0: supposed to directly be
1: involved. <laughs> Which I guess technically, I don't even know how it technically works or not. Yeah. You kill
0: 20,000 ships. Uh, that's pretty involved. Okay. The more details of it would be Tazu comes to Mata, says, um, Yeah, I need a. If you sacrifice a bunch of lives to me, I will destroy the enemy's uh, fleet, fleet of ships. Like, I'll destroy them all. Mata's like, No. I. I that's. That's wrong. I won't do that. And he goes, okay. Then Tazu's like, okay, well, you said no to me. So I'm going to put a tsunami on your <laughs> coast and destroys all of Mata's ships mm. kills, you know, hundreds, thousands of his own people on Wolf's Paw and then comes back. And Mata's like, well, it's either I do the thing the God asks or the gods keep attacking me. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> and so he sacrifices twenty thousand Zana soldiers uh, to the to Tazu, and Tazu's is like ah yum 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 yum, and then destroys the entire Zana armada. And that's a little direct. <laughs> it's a little direct on direct on the hand, but everyone's uh, realized like oh wow Mata slaughtered twenty thousand unarmed you know surrendered soldiers. Mm. I'm a little scared. <laughs> I'm a little terrified of him. <laughs> this isn't good. And that word kind of gets back to Cooney and his advisors and Rin. Rin decides Cooney
1: has the capital right now of yeah. the Empire. They're and Cooney tells
0: tells Rin, like, hey, go deliver this message to Mata. Invite him in. Don't let anyone else know because I want Mata to be the first one here. Mm-hmm. So that way we can rule together. And Rin says, you know what's better than, Rin, uh, better than Cooney and Mata ruling? Just Cooney. More specifically, just Kogo. (laughs) (laughs) Which we'll get to. Yeah, we'll get to. But that was a mistake. Because Mata then marches on, realizes, and thinks, Cooney betrayed me. He Mm. took the capital without me. And I thought we were supposed to lead together. And Cooney's like, oh, well, I I gotta leave. Because Mata's angry and Mata slaughters a lot of people. So he leaves and Mata does causes ransack he burns a lot of the uh pond to the ground and all this stuff and then takes over and right because
1: we... got this wrong message yeah so he he thinks Cooney betrayed him Cooney's like how do i now get this this is one of my negatives of the plot i think this mm-hmm. could have been a more interesting portion if we're talking about how the conflict arose a miscom the miscommunication trope isn't my favorite
0: yeah mine mine either and it it takes away some culpability from Cooney. Yeah, it takes
1: away so if Cooney could have made a more active character decision there mm-hmm. where maybe he decided Mata went too far. Yeah. Instead of it not being his fault and Rin sending the wrong message, exactly, it takes the consequences off the character themselves. Mm-hmm. What but it does lead to more interesting things later on. Whereas, you know, Mata Cooney leaves the capital city and Mata takes over. It's now basically his, he he controls it. And we get to the point now where they're reunited at a banquet that Mata holds for all the new. This is this is now he declares the Principate. This is the new, not empire, but the Principate of the Tiro states. And
0: this is the start of part four. So yes,
1: end of part three is the end of the Zana Empire. Yes, end it of is it, toppled. Now Mata's got it. This Principate happens, and he has a banquet with all the leaders.
0: And Kuni has a moment of realization that he's lost his brother. He can't, if he tells him the truth, it won't be perceived that way. He'll be, it'll be perceived as a lie. And he realizes that he has to lie to Mata and he can now no longer tell Mata the truth and actually rule with him. Right. And so he lies and he's able to skate his way out from being assassinated. And after that, Mata now draws new maps. And this is the start. I think this is the, the large start of mata being a real big dumb dumb yeah like real dumb (laughs) so he's just creating this new map in a stupid way he's drawing new tiro states and making new people leaders and just off of his feelings of like hey that guy was kind of nice to me that one time duke king hey that guy disagreed with me (laughs) nope he's now exiled right basically he Causes chaos, and he sends Kuni to tiny little island of Dasu, which is the furthest thing away. It has no land. It's incredibly poor. It's like, that is now going to be your island uh, to be shielded off. Basically, nobody's there. Nobody's there. And he also keeps Gia and his children as kind of hostages.
1: So he sends Kuni to rule this little nothing land. Yeah. And Kuni's now put in this position of how does he How does he deal with this? What does he do? And it's the first step he takes is he he's on this little island, but he fakes being sick on the island and sneaks over to see his wife all the way back on the main islands and in Zudi. Mm-hmm. So he sneaks back and meets, sees his wife. And uh, we actually didn't mention a point in the plot where before this, yeah. Kuni cheated.
0: Yeah, so when Kuni entered the capital city of Zana, Pan.
1: Right, before Mata took over the empire, this is before the Principate,
0: he went very out of character on like a week long uh escapade with all of the emperor's uh consorts right and just the thought process didn't make too much sense for it Cooney. was the, weird. the plot even
1: though the plot just kind of throw things at you and it's okay this was just it was like Cooney doing his things Cooney do-. he's now Uh, he's now cheating on his wife complete degenerate complete 360 or what wait 360 is the same direction i mean complete 180 180. (laughs) and then he does another 180 back to three back to 360 again cheats on his wife so now now building up to this moment where he's on this island and he's trapped there mata officially got rid of kuni kuni sneaks onto the island sees his wife gia and by the way while this was happening gia had also cheated on kuni with the housekeeper, Othi, I believe his name was. Oh. Okay. So they they both cheated on each other before being reunited. Because remember, this is years have passed. Years mm-hmm. of war and Cooney being away from home. And this is Gia, his wife, who they married because, hey,
0: promised to always make the most interesting decision. And she's feeling that, hey, th- you're making all the interesting decision, like, for Cooney. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, what is my interesting right. life? Yeah, right. <laughs> it <This> sucks. <laughs> So now that they're reunited,
1: they catch up and so forth. But there's this: th- they both find out.
0: They both find out that they were cheating, yeah. and then Soto, uh, the Soto who uh, is new housekeeper. Yeah,
1: yeah, new housekeeper for Gia, um, because when she cheated with Othi, cheated with Otho, Othi, o- So Otho, they had to get a new housekeeper. And that's yeah. Soto's
0: new housekeeper. These Soto, are yeah. too many details. There's there, too many. <laughs> so that whole, so that whole thing in. Soto, and this is where I'm not sure—is this the message of the author or message of the character? This is
1: your plot issue you might have with the
0: book. Possible and
1: more message issue. Okay.
0: Basically, Soto uh, gives Gia a speech of like how you know the heart can have more than one love, and that you cheating on Cooney is not a betrayal of Cooney, and like why you do it, and like basically, Gia has no doesn't regret cheating on Cooney. He's like, oh yeah, no, I didn't. Like, I needed that for me. Like, I needed to sleep with Otho to prove that I'm still in control of my life. And that that is not betrayal to Cooney, somehow. That is a... It was weird logic when it was explained. Mm -hmm. I I thought it was kind of dumb. And then Sotus is like, hey, you can still sleep with other men and still hold Cooney as your number one in your heart. Well,
1: Gia says this to Cooney.
0: Yeah, and then Cooney basically says like, yeah. Uh, and then they both agree that hey, no, we're still each other's number one. It doesn't matter who we sleep with. Right, so Cooney can have another wife.
1: Yeah, and, and means- <laughs> on a
0: tactical experience, it makes sense like Gia saying, hey, you need to get another wife because we need to trick Mata into believing that you are satisfied with your exile. And that mm. you are leaving me, uh, like you're abandoning me. That mm. Mata needs to believe that Kuni is abandoning Gia. That will satisfy Mata, yeah. and basically save Gia, hopefully.
1: And you had a. You think the author's message was polygamy is okay?
0: Yeah, it it was. I don't know, okay. and that's that's the thing. I, it, it was a strange, it was a strange message. Okay, but I I think. It, it's possible
1: it's not. It, yeah, I, th- I think how I read into that. Well, first the, the next plot point that happens there is Cooney immediately finds a wife. Like, Jingle, Jingle, and our Patreon pointed this out. Literally Cooney, next chapter. Cooney, next chapter goes
0: like, oh, I can have another Actually, wife. No, not like, even next chapter. Literally the day after. Day like, after. Day or two after. Like one day later. <laughs> it, like I would be a little bit
1: hurt if you found a replacement for me within a day. Like I Fair believe enough. I've built up two day podcast host removal. Like. No. It would take two days for you to get over it.
0: Yeah, no, one day. Okay, <laughs> well, one
1: is all. One me. day, Cooney goes off, finds another wife, Rasana, right? Yeah, and a part of that message of what you know, polygamy, and you can have multiple wives. I think the author was looking at it from, hey, I don't, I don't know what the author thinks, but it does come up later via the letters and later in the book that Gia and Rasana have this clear jealousy. And there's some clear tension that builds up toward the end of the book that I would wait. I'm going to reserve judgment until the future books
0: to see where Ken Liu goes with this. But
1: it makes an interesting plot point.
0: Yeah, that's where I'm mixed on it. I'm not sure. It's just that even Soto kind of even says it in her speech to Gia. Right. That, again, it's the throwing away tradition and just throw it like, hey, who's to say that you can't have multiple loves in your heart and that yes, there will be conflict and no relationship is perfect, that there are flaws in all types of relationships and that who's to say which flawed relationship is better than another. Basically the whole subjectivism of like, Hey, no, every relationship's flawed. This is just your flaw. It's no different from any other relationship.
1: Hmm.
0: And so like, yeah, there will be conflict, but there's also great love and, it's the same. It's clearly not the same. <laughs> I see
1: what you mean. I see what you mean.
0: So, like, they acknowledge that there's going yeah. to be conflict later, but that, that conflict is still worth it. Mm. That the scales still balance in favor of the relationship. So, so that
1: was with, kind of the with process. this relationship, Cooney goes back to the island with his new wife and so forth, and basically takes the approaches where part of the message of the story comes, where Cooney, being open-minded... Let's, you know, Kogo, who is the number one (laughs) advisor, this whole tax thing, we'll get into the characters. And by the way, Two things I want to say before we go on. One, let us know if you like this new style that we're doing, going into the plot details. Because comment down below, Kogo is God. Kogo is God, and also comment down below, we are so far in, we're not even on characters yet. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> finishing up with plot, we have this this situation with Cooney going back to the island and being open-minded and allowing advisors, and this is where we meet Jin. Jim yep. Mazzotti, who gets a quick background story of... Which I love. All needed one chapter. Like orphan, that was it. This orphan story of being, uh, you know, grown up with these... Hoodl- like, what do you call them? Just these absolute bandits. Hoodlums? I was bandits? Gonna say, yeah, hoodlums, bandits. Like, yeah. whatever you want to call them. Just bad people. And they're not bringing their best. <laughs> <laughs> they're not bringing their best. <laughs> but Jin, Jin comes... <laughs> we go back into our impersonations. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: so... I wish I could do a Biden impersonation. I just can't. I don't have the old man voice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If your dad comes back on. Yeah. We, we got, do it. No, oh, that was, I don't mean to insult your dad. He just, he's older than us. He's, he's more an wise. older man. He's That's... older and
0: wiser. Okay. That's all I meant.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm a little jealous. You will replace me one day. That's all. Yeah. I'm just... One day. So Cooney is back on this Island and he's more open-minded. He lets uh, a woman come and be a marshal. Jin is now the nope. marshal and lead his armies and, since he's allowing people from all over the Tiro states, and this is the well, conversation yeah, we had about... Gia teaches
0: them the lesson exactly. of like, hey, don't <laughs> yeah. overlook all the women. Half
1: the population. Half the population. So, they have stuff. They have talent in pl- there. Yeah, plus your people that aren't no- nobles. Look, yeah. look, at, look at your lower class. So he's letting all these people come and invent things. And the island mm-hmm. flourishes. And now people look to it and I'm like, hey, this island's popping.'" yeah like you can this 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 island schmacks several <laughs> several characters said that believe it or not they said oh yeah exactly
0: those words they said
1: that they said this is like a seven out of ten i don't know whatever our rating is so they all come to this island and they start inventing stuff it starts prospering and so quickly
0: that they create it's this very it's it's kind of ridiculous it's it's, it's fun it's fun <laughs> it's very it's, fun but it was also like oh they created. Submarines. They created engines. They created under underground water pressure tunneling with a chemical that melts rock. Yeah, and then they also create brand new battle tactics. They create. It's just going through. It's like, oof, that's a lot. They are like the Fire Nation in Avatar. Yeah, the the one thing that was like understandable, like it was the first thing that came to mind. Where I'm like, oh, that's a very reasonable and Large step forward that made sense is when they implemented women properly into the military instead of just kind of the, you know, the followers, the follower uh, gang that follows the military, but actually integrating them into the the army and so in the airships, but also a proper uh, medical medical division and also people in administration and all that's where they're actually paid a proper salary instead of just follows behind the army Mm. which makes a lot more sense that was that was an obvious step forward that makes their army significantly better
1: yeah it all makes logical sense there yeah the that i think that's the one flaw of writing like this though Mm -hmm. is that when the book is that dense and you have to skip around and cut all fluff so a portion where another book would have prospered like if you had a, a normal narrative style that technology progress
0: would be stretched out maybe
1: several chapters explain more stretched out more but because of the style that was chosen like hey we gotta get right to it which makes it a little bit less uh, I guess believable or a little bit less like oh
0: okay we're here now
1: so that can happen with this (laughs) structure so why you know it has its pros has its cons and so with this, they go and they Kendo Murana ended up he was on the bigger island next time. They take over him, they beat Kindo Murana, and they land in, I think, Jinpen on the main islands, and it's Kuni
0: versus Mata. And it's the now invasion. It's the war between Kuni and Mata. Exa-
1: and this is several years after the Principate is formed because Cooney's been on that island for years, building up,
0: doing so so is doing Which, so forth. By the way, right at the beginning of this war, I, I, I actually laughed where uh goes say goes to hmm uh, takes Zudi back from Mata saves Gia and then i think the same chapter mata or like the literally the next chapter mata comes in and takes Zudi back and yeah. now Gia and uh Kudi are separated again i'm like jesus th- this this author really doesn't want Gia and Cooney together <laughs> at all. Not, a, not for a second. <laughs> not for a second. Can't have one whole and, chapter. And the
1: reason Mata is Cooney didn't want to rebel outright for a long time because Mata, remember, was keeping Gia captive. But the whole twist on that was when Cooney came to visit Zudi and came to the, the city of Zudi and saw his wife Gia, the new housekeeper, Soto, who showed up one day to help Gia out. Soto, the housekeeper for Gia... Her secret Mata's identity aunt. is that she's Mata's aunt, right? Mm-hmm. So when Kuni came back and Soto said, hey, I'm Mata's aunt. If Mata comes here, don't worry. I'll give him a and I'll give him one of these. I'll give him one of these. <laughs> i will give him one of these. <laughs> and so what she ends up, uh, so Kuni can go back and say, you know what, I can successfully go and attack Mata finally because I know that my wife will be safe. Huh. Or I should say, one of my wives will be safe. Yeah. You little dog, you. <laughs> so he ends up coming and Mata goes to kill Gia, Soto, the aunt of Mata's is there, and he's like, oh, damn it. I I have a little bit of a heart. So that happens. They have their whole fight. They're clashing. Cooney's making progress, especially with Marshall Jin and the new technology and so forth. And where are we at now, Rich? What's happening here? We're
0: off to part five. God damn it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we're on to part five. Uh, We're putting... (laughs) This this is on angry mode. okay this is how a, much i have to freaking edit that's, that's, <laughs> this is a dense book this is a this is a dense book but i, I like the style so
0: far you know it's, yeah
1: we're, we're getting on top it's, of things it's
0: necessary
1: it's at this point. it's helping it's helping think think back on the novel hopefully mm-hmm. this can be a good tool for anybody who if you have read the book to go back for a summary or if you haven't read the book and you're just listening along and now you have the whole book <laughs> <laughs> so we're on part five now and part five is called Clouds race
0: across the sky. There we go. Oh. And so this part, part five starts off with this is the Kuni takes back Zudi, then Mata immediately takes it back, and Kuni and G are separated again. Again. <laughs> and then we have Kuni and Mata's parlay. Kuni, Mata's parlay, okay. So this is basically Kuni and Mata meet on the water, and Mata threatens to. Oh, yeah cook and eat my, uh, Cooney's father. I love how this was written, because it's like, it Mati goes
1: story. down, comes back up, lays table, goes down, comes up, lays brings this, knife, brings uh, knife, comes down, comes up, brings father. What? <laughs> and he just says so bluntly, Cooney, if you do not surrender, I will cook and eat your, your father, father
0: in front of you. And you get the internal dialogue of Cooney, like, crap in his pants he is scared but he realizes like i have to bluff this this is the performance of my lifetime right and he basically throws it off saying like go ahead eat him like who cares and just showing that he has the will to keep going and shows that it's pointless to pointless threat and then you see mata's perspective of he's disgusted that Cooney would think that he would actually do it and from the reader's point of view, I'm going like, of course he thinks that. You are a butcher. you slaughtered so many people. Like, literally <laughs> like, everybody. <laughs> I don't see why he wouldn't think that. Mana, why do you have such a weirdly high opinion of yourself? <laughs> like,
1: like he, he actually you're think think not I'd, above that? You think I'd kill his father? Well, you just went to try to kill Gia. You did kill 20,000 people. You did kill this. You killed people. a lot <laughs> of people. <laughs>
0: You've so, done a lot of terrible things. This one is not that far <laughs> from right? your M.O.
1: But they come at a standstill and end up signing a treaty. No. What?
0: Yeah. They sign a treaty. Three, no, we have a three-year... Uh, we have a three-year... Uh, battle between them, right? They, yeah, so...
1: Oh, right, right, right. They, they have three-year-long battle, but it happens in, like, boom, like
0: a chapter. They, there's a stalemate like, where yeah. Jin, Jin's even... Um, after this, they... Tr- um, Jin and Luanzia trick Mata into getting rid of his only good advisor, Right. the um, pa- um, Tarulu pairing, who's the only smart individual that's actually keeping Mata's team around, like right. alive, and actually a strategist. They trick him, and pairing dies. And then we have the battle with King Zato Ruthi. And that's where G- oh, yeah, yeah. this guy—he's a philosopher—and somehow he's thrown into the seat of power, and the mob basically makes him king. And he follows, he follows the book of some philosopher to a T, even in war, where to the point where he's like, when the opposing army is attacking you and they're crossing a river, you must wait and let them cross first, and also give them one hundred feet. Of land so that they can prepare and then they will attack you. And that's how it works. It's a fair battle. It, make it a fair, honorable battle. That's mm-hmm. how it works. And so he just goes, yeah, instead of attacking them while they're in the river and have a disadvantage, we're going to wait. And he gets stomped because <laughs> he's a dum-dum. Yeah. And then he looks down on Jane's like, of course I'm going to win. It's a woman. Of course. that." I can't lose against a woman. And then he gets owned. And yeah. So we have that. Then three more years of war where it's. It's a stalemate. Basically, a stalemate. Stalemate
1: comes, and we get to a point where Mata and Cooney sign a treaty. Yeah. Which is promptly ripped up.
0: <laughs> Immediately.
1: Immediately. Like, I uh, think it's going one direction, and yeah. boom, it's ripped up, and they go back to war. And Cooney makes progress this time around I mean makes even more progress and has Mata on the brink well Ma- Mata's army is going around wherever Mata is he's winning in that city he's, he's winning his battles but the rest of his army's elsewhere where Mata isn't Kuni's winning yeah. and so it comes to a point where we get the, we get to the final battle right did I skip anything or- yeah no oh, we get to the final uh, yeah, battle yeah. We, so we get to the final battle and put us in that scene Rich what happens
0: there this is where my bias comes out of- oh here we go <laughs> basically mata knows that it's a losing battle yeah and kuni actually wins the hearts of mata's troops by sending the the uh the women of the kokru army forward and singing um standard kokru songs and the they go out there to try and heal and all this and mata's army hears it and is longing for their mothers for their daughters, their sisters. And Mata realized, like, I've lost the heart of my army. And instead of surrendering or just killing himself, he's like, we're going to make one last push. He takes all the still loyal men. Before
1: that, though, his lover... Mira dies. Yeah. So, so she, that's what pushes him over the edge. The, the person we didn't even mention because, oh, oh God, yeah. there's, there's a lot to mention. There's some, But Mira, Mira is one of his, uh, sorry, they, they had this little love story basically where um, Mira is the wife, or sorry, not wife or sister of one of the original 800 people that was with Mata when he was just starting. And yeah. so he felt this loyalty to her and they ended up falling in love, having this love story. Mira gets killed. So, Mata finally has, is pushed over the edge, goes on a rage, just bashes through, says, screw his army. He succeeds in killing so many of Kuni's soldiers, but also all of his to the point where there's like him and 20 something left, like at the edge of a lake, river, ocean, whatever. They're at the edge and. We didn't even mention once. This is hilarious. We didn't even mention once Daff or Rock, D- Dafiro. Oh god, or-
0: there's so many. We didn't even
1: <laughs> mention them yet. We're kind of just throwing in at the end that there were these two characters the whole time, Dafiro and Rock, right? Yeah, uh, Rack. I- Dafiro and Rack, who are brothers, who have been split up in the war. We kind of get their point of view. Uh,
0: f- a other, soldier in Kuni's uh, army and a soldier in Mata's they army. They get
1: split up. So one one of the brothers is in Kuni's, one's in Mata's. And so they ended up really falling in love. Not falling in love, just respecting and admiring their respective leaders. Mm-hmm. So I believe it was Rof, or Rock, who was with... I think it's Rof, Raff, Rafiro, who was with Mata until the very end. And when Mata gets surrounded, he chops off the head of his horse, right? Or his horse... His horse His dies. Horse dies, and then he kills himself. And so yeah. does Roth. And then we get Cooney's point of view, and it's kind of just a sweet, ha- like, happy ish ending where Cooney is now in charge with Kogo, and the, the book ends.
0: Yeah. God, Lord. God damn it, Rich. <laughs> this was the worst pod
1: episode to start this new bullshit <laughs> plot summary. God
0: damn it. <laughs> By the way, if you can't tell, the book's a little dense, a lot. We missed some things. We didn't go over everything. Oh, we, t- we, we cut content out of that summary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. But let's go right into characters. Well, can We've we? Delayed this. Please. <laughs> I gave characters a seven point five. I gave that? a six point five. Six point five. Yes, okay. I did. So significantly why significantly lower lower than mine? Like a point.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't say significant. It's significant. So why did you give a
0: 7.5? Which characters you like? Which didn't you like? I'm mainly impressed with his uh, the the author's ability to make me really like characters in one chapter. Like I really liked uh, Jin Mazzotti in one chapter. It's all I needed. Just her backstory. I'm like, yeah, great. I'm behind her hundred percent. This is fine. Yeah. Love it. I totally get you. Uh, we Luan Zia. Like I remember my feeling it's of Luanzia. No, it's Luan Shit. Is that how they say it? In the yes. Damn it. I
1: tried the one <laughs> off you.
0: I <laughs> can't get me that easily. But in the beginning, you see the, the assassin, the kite assassin. And you think, Oh, this guy's going to be like an important player. I think he's like, are we going to meet him? And then, Basically, for a whole like two parts, we completely skip him. Like we don't get him for another like hundred pages. <laughs> which him and Jin end up falling in love, right? Yeah, at, or which, having a also Jin's character, her
1: temptation at the end. What do you think about Jin's character? That was great and fantastic. It, she has, character she has this moment where she's tempted by the gods to betray Cooney, and again fulfilling the message of the story. One of the messages of the story is because Cooney was trusting, open minded, and trusted Jin. Jin had this had this introspective thought of, wait, if I can't follow Cooney, there is no
0: leader out there. Because Cooney trusts me. I will show trust in return. Well, yeah, it's it's the moment of she's being treated like a queen, and she's on that razor's edge of, I have every opportunity to portray Cooney and be my own leader. Mm. We'll basically stalemate between Cooney, myself, and Mata. No one could win without my help, and I could become queen. Right. But then she kind of realizes, like, even despite my pushing of the boundaries, Cooney mailed her a letter and congratulated her and still trusts her. And she's going like, man, Cooney believed in me when I was quite literally nothing. Yeah. And despite me pushing the envelope on my authority and really kind of, like, he has reason to not to trust me. He still does. Like, that... If I can't follow him, I like can't follow anybody. And at that point, if you can't trust Cooney, who can you trust? So she makes that decision to, you know, I'm I'm still gonna follow. And God even tries to tempt her. Yeah, <laughs> and she one of the gods, right? She turns God down.
1: And she has this moment at the end. Like th- this book, why I said at the beginning, I didn't have this urge to read on to book two, and mm-hmm. I still don't. But I well people that we like shelf centered, for example, saying, Hey, book two, people love it. And mm-hmm. the, the, of course the author, I want to read these. It's the author as well. But Jin Mazzotti, this, this marshal that Cooney appointed. Her ending is that she goes back, gets revenge on all the people that wronged her and abused her as a kid. And so she also, everything's kind of bow tied yeah. with Jin's as well. It's just, Hey, she has her arc. She has her done. Move yeah. on. So there's not anything like, do I want to read Jin again? Next book? Not particularly. Interesting she, character. She had her story. She, yeah, she's done. I, I would say that my most... Disapp- since you know since I didn't give it the seven, let me throw some fire into this, okay? Yeah. The most disappointing part about the characters here, for me, was Gia.
0: Yes, and completely Because
1: agreed. I really like Gia's character, especially at the beginning where the love mm-hmm. story between Cooney and her being, hey, I'm looking for the most interesting. And she has these herb, herbal, which I guess is more negative to a plot, but remember she had this herbal stuff and she is able to make concoctions yeah, That didn't come up later in the plot like I thought it would. I thought it was leading somewhere. But just like Gia's character, I thought her character was leading somewhere. I'm sure that she gets way more explored in the sequels and in all the rest of the books. But in this book in particular, she kind of takes a back seat and is definitely left out of a lot of the latter half of the book.
0: Yeah, it. I was really interested in her character in the beginning. But mm-hmm. by the end... The author didn't give her a lot of page time to do stuff. Her chapters were not as interesting. And the one point of conflict or change, or the, the only interesting thing she really did, was cheat on Cooney and then justify it. And right, that's that's
1: her whole... So while there's four or five years of him gone at war, the the point of view we get is her cheating.
0: Yeah. Like that That's... That's it? That's it, really? Really? Like, uh, and even the reason for it yeah. was... Odd and I honestly kind of confusing and mm. felt like copium <laughs> like she's coping with the idea like I felt at she that didn't point, even reg- like at least Cooney like immediately after regretted it.
1: I think you said this in the Patreon discussion mm-hmm.
0: where you were saying
1: that the author almost needed to create a character conflict to get Cooney in the right position, so oh, it yeah. almost felt like they he had them cheat because he wanted the story to go a certain direction.
0: Yeah, it it felt far more. Art, that whole plot and character direction felt the most artificial. That mm. he wanted the characters to be in a certain spot in the next book. So, deliberately kept Gia and Cooney apart to a point of ridiculousness of like, right. even when they're together, like, very next chapter, separated for years again. Like, they get no time together, even though right. probably should. Right, and where Gia doesn't, uh, an essential
1: thing with all books is that mm-hmm. not just the world, but the characters live off the page. Mm-hmm. Where Gia, and not just off the page, off the narrative. Like what, why you love Wheel of Time so much is that there's other, things are happening in the world and it spreads, the, the people perceive events in the Wheel of Time differently from how far away they are from one another. People mm-hmm. have different stories about it. So a good character, someone who, while while our point of view character, like Kuni or Mata are point of view are having their story in the background other characters are also moving things are happening whereas gia for several years she's a mother and of course taking care of the kids but for several years doesn't feel like her character is moving or doing anything that affects the plot yeah that affects the she's doing things but she's not doing plot things no she she's kind of wanted her to living a placid life where she's also not that kind of character that just sits around yeah she is literally introduced as no. Life. It's interesting.
0: That's who I want to marry. And you have the most I, uninteresting story in the latter half. I was looking so forward to like when she's introduced, like in one chapter Cooney and uh, Gia get married. I was going like, oh, this is great. Instead of a romance story throughout the book where it's just the will they won't they, Yeah, we get hey, they immediately are married and I would love to see the romantic dynamic of them actually as a married couple in partnership and them right. working off each other. and right. Gia with Cooney and her bettering him and I would love all these little things where they grow together and you would actually see their romance throughout the book but we don't really get that and it's just yeah it felt like a missed opportunity I
1: demand something of you Richard lower it to a 7 725. Ah, I think that was our longest pause in podcast history for you. <laughs> but and not to drag the characters. That that is the one character that most negatively impacted my character score. Rich, how about you being the higher rating? You say, What character did you love? Why was it so good? Because I I, I went first with my least favorite
0: point. Coco. Kogo Coco! Coco is God. Like, oh my god. God, he's the most he's the smartest character in the entire book. I, I admired his tax policy. How genius was that tax oh, policy. Oh, that tax policy was great. He basically said, Hey, how do we tax the invisible like the invisible income? People are hiding income and not actually selling. So he basic he basically created sales tax. Yeah. In a very interesting in, and fun way.
1: In a way that incentivized the the, the citizens to pay their taxes because how, how he set this up correct me if I'm wrong is he had a lottery system. So whenever something was sold at a, let's say it's a store and sold to a, uh, a customer, they, the customer had to get a lottery ticket.
0: They were given well, a no, lot. The,
1: yeah. You yeah, get they,
0: you, for spending yeah. money at a store, you uh, X yes. amount of dollars. You want the lottery
1: ticket. So, so yeah. the customer is getting one from the store owner. Now the store owner, is not just going to not get the lottery ticket, because the customer's going to go there and be like, hey, where's my free lottery ticket? So the customers are going to be asking for them. And the customer, oh, sorry, the store owner can only get those lottery tickets from the government, like from Cooney and Kogo. So essentially, every transaction that happens will be verified because they have to go through the top down to get the lottery tickets to pass all the way to the bottom that people want.
0: Yeah. That's pretty smart. It is really smart, and... Oh my god. All of Kogo's designs for changing up the the army, putting different people in charge, he's the one that finds Gia, he's yeah. the one that basically runs things. He runs the city and then also the army and has different is able to figure out uh different ways for espionage. It's just right. endless. And even by the end, he realizes I have too much influence in In society, in the army, and all this. (laughs) Yes, so I'm deliberately going (laughs) to embezzle money, and then be told off by Cooney, and basically put in my place. And now Cooney will no longer suspect me Mm -hmm. of being a rival because I've ruined my own reputation enough that I'm no longer a rival to Cooney. Because. he did that all deliberately just so he's like, I-, I like my spot. I don't want to be seen as being too ambitious. Right, right. Genius. <laughs> he's he's a god. People ask,
1: people ask who would be your fantasy squad? If you had if you had, you know, who's your fighter, you pick a fighter from the series. You could pick Helen Lo- Darrow, I, I whatever. Pick Logan nine Logan fingers nine fingers. Who's your who's your general? You have Dalinar, maybe. I don't know. Now who is your advisor? Advisor? kogo kogo yellow there's no other question it's just, he he is the god of advisors yeah and so you loved kogo what about we we talked a lot during plot but our characters mata and kuni they're very clear on mm-hmm. their personalities where kuni is your he's more merciful but he's he's a collector of people and he makes him personable makes him a good leader the one consequence of that mentioned way earlier is that if you're too, if you rely too much on someone like Kogo, things could fall apart. Yeah. Whereas Mata is your very hard headed. Power might is right. Like you said, so they're yeah. clear characters. What, what else about them that was, was it just their opposites that made them interesting to follow? What What else made them interesting to you?
0: Well, I, I was really interested in the characters and then by the end, I think they deviated to a point of, Cooney was too good where all the his advisors basically all the morally gray decisions were made by Cooney's advisors. And so Cooney was kind of
1: even the absolved acts, yeah.
0: of all of the sins of his side, not completely, but mm. the worst thing that he like made a real active decision of was two things. him cheating on Gia and then also by the end, um, betraying Mata's truce. And basically immediately going back on his word.
1: But he was heavily advised to do that.
0: Yeah. But all the other little moments of the little, like, Mm. more cruel things, that was other people. That was the people beneath him that made those decisions. And Mata just kept looking more and more like a dumbass to the point where, like, he's just so stupid. Like, he had no positive qualities at all by the end. He had nothing. Like n- there was not a single positive thing that could be said about him. Do you wish he did have a positive quality? Yeah, I, I yeah. was because by the end, beginning he it went from oh I think we're gonna get a hero's journey and then oh this is a little bit morally gray to the point of oh no he's just a dumb idiot and he has no moral qualities, more morally good qualities at all. Where and by you can see how final, he fell this way. His final charge, he the last eight hundred people where he slaughter all these people on a suicide mission and all of his men are dying instead of just surrendering and letting his men live not crying at that point not didn't feel any bad things about that it's his horse dies and then he cries a no and then kills himself he feels more about his horse than the men following him right that's how like awful person he's a terrible person and so yeah <laughs> Whereas you could
1: see it went this way because everybody in his life betrayed him, even his uncle. Yeah. And he thinks Cooney betrayed him as well and eventually, I mean, did fight Cooney. So the initial miscommunication turned out to be, hey, they're at odds end with Mm -hmm. each other. So you see how he goes
0: this dark path. Were you looking for a little bit more complexity? A little bit. Yeah. Because there was some and then all the complexity left by the end. I I say to you again, Richard, Mm -hmm. lower that score. (laughs) <laughs> lower
1: that score <laughs> because I, I think the lowest point about this book they're not bad at all I gave it 6.5 mm-hmm. the characters are my the lowest part about the book as a whole I think it gets leveled up from the other things Like I think the pros will talk about that we'll talk about the world building the emotion I got from it was more for the feel Yeah, the feel of just I, I like the vibe of it I like the expansiveness it was interesting it was new so I give all the credit there characters there were definitely some misses and a bit of apathy in some regard to the characters which is almost purposeful because it's not like you read the bible and you're you know crying over job or you're reading the Torah mm-hmm. or whatever character it's not like you're reading noah's ark let's say you, you look at noah's ark and you don't look at Noah one like you're emotionally invested and no, no, no it's because you're trying to learn a lesson and a moral from the story and yeah. that's why you know and that's why it's there whereas in this i feel like the point of it isn't the character journey it's not this big intense arc it's more so to serve the purpose of this dense world and to immerse you it's more
0: cerebrally interesting it's you not you
1: bastard you what s- i i what?
0: hate you i i do what
1: <laughs> what I say? Just, just the way you said cerebrally. They're like, oh, it ticked me off. Uh, You've just, I, you just been saying the
0: right words today, like, ma pieta daddy. I can't even say it. Ma pieta No, I get But the way you said... Well, uh, the character's stories are interesting in a cerebral way yeah. rather than an emotional way. Yeah, you're right. So one of the most satisfying character stories was Pira. Like, that conclusion was... I I felt joy at it, not because I was so invested in the character, Mm -hmm. but that it was just such a satisfying conclusion. Yeah, interesting. Where he betrayed the emperor, betrayed the empire to this downfall, and then all this stuff. And then finally he's in the throne room with uh, Emperor Arashi, and they break in, and he's like, wait a minute. Have I got something to tell you? I'm actually basically trying to explain to the rebels that He's the real cause of the fall of the empire. He's yeah. on their side. And then before he even has a chance to explain, Soldiers goes in, bashes his head in. That was such a great done. end to his story, too. Oh, perfect. Yeah. That was such that was a great. perfect end. And I was just so satisfied with that, especially how nobody will know and that, that was the best moment yeah. of all this stuff and only the reader will ever know that. I think the two best little characters in
1: here then were Pira and Kikimi, and, and Kikimi because both the characters had that where, like, of course, Kendo knew, like you you pointed out, yeah. Murana, but these are characters that basically only the reader knows what happened and all the other characters in this world will never know. Yeah. That's a cool narrative slash author trick mm-hmm. and it just gets you going because you start to think of, oh, I wish they knew and it's that that desire that you'll never get,
0: and you feel in yeah. on that. You feel in on it. You do feel in on the story, but it also is just a satisfying conclusion to this like traitor's arc and how epic it should be, and yet is forgotten. And that's because you expect it to go the
1: way of Pura is gonna. You know, he reveals it. Hey, I was on your guy's side the whole time yeah. and helps Lakuni this kind of direction you'd expect. or that he
0: would be portrayed in some way yeah. and lose, but yeah, he lost in such. He died in such an unimportant manner.
1: And realistic manner. Because yeah. think of the way he went about it is, hey, you are looking like you're on the Empire side. Of, of course. course the other guy's gonna go in there and kill you. You know what would be way more unrealistic is they bash down the door, start killing people, and Pyrrha's like, wait, wait, let me explain. <laughs> and then they all stop chopping heads off and go, oh, okay, let's,
0: let's well, hear him out. Ultimately, Pyrrha is not an incredibly smart individual. Like, smart enough, I guess. I mean, but he has to be smart enough to get that high up. Yeah, And but to influence things. Mainly, Pyrrha is patient and is thoughtful, but, I mean, when push comes to shove, not able to hold the Empire together if he needs to, doesn't have escape plans. Like, what was his end game here? Like, he wanted Zana to fall, but he had no plan when Zana did fall. I think it was so unexpected, though, for them to airdrop in. Yeah, that's, it was so, a sudden...
1: Not, that's something you can't really plan for.
0: I get that, but it's still a. What what, what was your end game here? Mm. <laughs> and there's not much of one.
1: So I think his end game was probably to let you know as the rebellion grows and they circle around Pan, Pan and he reveals it to their through a message or something like that. Hey, look, I have proof that yeah. something like that. But yeah, Puro is a great character and we got to touch on just slightly rat and Deaf, or rock and Deaf. I forget the, the name exactly, but how would you like us following these two? I, I use this lightly, but inconsequential characters to follow.
0: It, I, I definitely got a Rosencrantz and Gildenstern kind of vibe from them. Okay. It was fun. The, 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 insignificant characters that is a reflection of our main characters, mm. which enjoy because they both had very similar qualities to their respective, uh, lords and i liked that little moment where the gods like that one god split them up and the other gods asked him like why'd you do that like this is strange like this is how you're interfering he's like i just want to add a little bit of chaos here right and in many ways that small amount of change had a big influence because the brother that followed mata actually did have a lot to do with mata's success and he was the one person that was by Mata's side the entire time. Right. And led the char- like after Mata was charging, he was the one that charged right after and got the rest of the army to go. And like, right. So that little bit of chaos was very interesting to add to the story. That was, that was. And it, it took you, it
1: was almost like these little breaks from the main story mm-hmm. of, yeah, your, whatever
0: example you just used. But the, the, the brothers how the daff or daxo i I don't know (laughs) daxo (laughs) cooney's soldier yeah brother i think it was daff 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 was kind of a coward but more pragmatic realistically like he's willing to fight but he's not willing to just die pointlessly and raf is just young and dumb and kind of like he's He's just so fully engrossed into the legend of Mata Sindhu mm. that he's blind to everything else.
1: Yeah, and a a story like this, we're we're following we're following Daff, following Rack. Mm-hmm. You have these more, I guess, inconsequential characters, and you have your your characters you like, like Pure is an interesting character. Mm-hmm. Ki Ki kikomi, interesting character. Could you see how someone like Matt's Fantasy Reviews read this book and he says it's one of his favorite books ever. He loves it. Could you see that a reader who is more plot-slash-world-building focused would like this a lot more? Because I, I do think, would you agree that the characters, not bad, they they are good, but they don't shine. They don't stand out compared
0: to what this book is going for. They stand out more than I expected them to. That's fair. definitely not the same. As you would expect the. Sto- oh, sorry, I interrupted Go, go on that. No. Oh, no, it's just... Some characters, like I think Jin maybe gets three or four chapters total. Right. That's it. So, I mean, you just don't have enough time with her. Right. For what the story is going for, you were surprised by how much the characters
1: were developed and that you did care. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with that. That I would have expected a story like this for the characters kind of be sidelined and not really given much attention at all. Yeah. But more was focused on them than not. Yeah. Do you want to move on to dialogue slash
0: prose? Yep.
1: What'd you I, give that out of 10? I
0: gave it an eight out of 10. 7.5 out
1: of 10. We're very
0: close. It's that. incredibly impressive what he, what this author was able to do. It's one very poetic prose. I think it's incredibly well-written, perfectly describes the setting. I know exactly where I am. The, the ability to introduce a character and instantly you're falling in love with the character. And then away they go. <laughs> you don't My, see them for, for like a hundred pages and then they come back in. You just love them. It, it's such a, such a talented way of weaving this story together. It was incredibly impressive.
1: My innate urge to disagree with you. Ugh, I can't, though, because it, it is really well written. I like that it, it seemed to me more like that Sanderson example of prose, where Sanderson, the way he describes his type of prose versus someone like Patrick Ruffless or J.R.R. Tolkien and so forth, is imagine a window... Mm-hmm. Where Patrick Ruffus's prose and Jerry R. Tolkien's prose is a what's, what are those windows in churches called? I'm so sorry. What, what's the A stained a, glass uh, yeah, window? Stained glass window. Imagine a stained glass window with art on it and things you want to look at. That though that stained glass window that Patrick Ruffus is writing. So his Patrick Ruffus's window, his words are stained glass. Like you're reading the words for the poetry. You're reading the words to. And gets an emotion out of the way the sentences are constructed, the words that are used, how beautiful it is. So that stained glass window, you're looking at it for the art that the words are or Sanderson in his prose is just a, just a regular glass window where it's just uses a tool to look through, to see the story, to see the characters. You're not supposed to focus on and read over the words, the intent of them is look through it. And I think this story is much so more that clear window of, it's just mm-hmm. said so succinctly. And, So because of the density of the book, that's what's so impressive about it. So much gets done and so effective. That's just a clear window you look through. You never have to read a sentence twice. You're going through it beat for beat for beat and it feels so
0: smooth that way. Mm -hmm. Do you, you agree with that? Relatively, but I think that the writing is a little bit more than just simple. It does have a level of description clarity that is beautiful to read. And I think he does uh, does a really good job at doing that. So I, oh, fair. I Okay. do think it's a little different than a Sanderson or a Pierce Brown prose. Okay, so I would say I, Pierce I Brown and
1: different. Brandon Sanderson have different styles as well. Though I'm just different the, styles. I'm just yeah. direction. Gotcha. So I, I want to. I have one quote that I loved from mm. this book. Uh, Achievement had a way of lowering a man's tolerance for risk. I that thought that was
0: incredibly true.
1: I thought about that one. It, that is, yeah, right now, we're really to risk everything. For yeah.
0: We have nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it means we have nothing to lose. Risk
0: everything. Why not? Why not? <laughs> uh, anything else you want to say on the dialogue prose? Just a, it, the most impressive thing that can be done with writing is cutting out fluff and not losing substance. Mm. That's incredibly impressive to do is telling writing just enough. And no more, no less. That's why I really like short stories a lot. But this author, can you like he can can Lou? Yeah. Mm Hmm. Anyway, he wrote a trilogy in one book. Yeah, it's really what he did. Yep. And that's awesome.
1: Nice. And now, just in this one book, what Mm -hmm. did you rate the world building slash
0: magic system? I gave it a seven point seven five.
1: I gave it eight point two five.
0: It's a well-described world, good history, and definitely want to see where the world goes next. Yeah, it isn't. I can't give it that eight yet, and mainly because my talk about like that technology. how the technology like that was quick, and I was taken out of the story a little bit. Okay. Um, I love the gods playing playing their hand. I almost found it funny by the end of. You're kind of set up, you're thinking, oh, the gods like have a light touch. Hmm. No, no, they they are straight. At, at, when the gods are actually like involved and go down in human form to interact. I, the first time it happened, I'm like, oh, this is super important. The gods are actually interfering directly. Oh, my God. No, they do that all the time. That's, right. They're always down there. They're yeah. just dicking around. <laughs> so they have a heavy hand to play. And so that was it maybe took me out a little bit, but it was really funny. Uh, so I enjoyed that part. Um, the grand scale of it was impressive, and its clarity. And well said. Well said. Hard for us to uh, describe it in one video, the whole plot, but it was very clear when we read it.
1: And I'd agree with you. The world, the most impressive part about it is the scope and the history. The The feeling that this place is real, I definitely got. Mm-hmm. The The feeling when you're reading the book, it's, okay, This I could believe this, the Tiro states exist, and... The different cultures as well. We we explored. There's Tanaru. There's Zana. There's Faka. There's Kokru. There's the island Daru up there, and the different cities. So all the different places. If I bet, if you like, someone's really into the lore, you could go like the specific foods that were mentioned. that different cultures had their different foods. Oh yeah. And it was cool that when Zana. And when Zana took over and combined the Tiro states for the first time, they were having concoctions of different foods that were mixed. I think Cooney did that to Jir one time to impress or something like that. So hey, mm-hmm. try this mixture. That's this is new because before all the different states were completely separate and had yep. their own imports, but now as you see this mix and what happens when a when the empire takes over, that changes society in a lot of ways. Oh, and yeah. I I love the expansion of I, I love the expansion that the empire took over. And what the, sorry, let me backtrack for a second. The thing that we got in the first chapter before the empire took over, there was this this book that Cooney was reading from this philosophy book or something from the, I forget, I forget the name. It's, it's it's real (laughs) tough. It's it's real tough, but I like that they looked back to their history and you could see there was text before it feels like it was lived in in that sense that it's not just this time period. There's stuff that happened before this and many stuff will happen to come. And also the little thing of, I think this is more biased from being a Western audience, but this Mm -hmm. being having a lot of Eastern roots in its world building, such as one thing is the different stances, like Moppy Roppy or Mop Roppy, the different ways you would sit in a more formal situation or more lackadaisical situation. Uh, Another thing I was researching Confucius recently, just, I'm I'm a freaking nerd. (laughs) I was researching Confucius and they used to do this at least in ancient China and some some areas in the East where when your mother would die, you would mourn and have this grieving period. Like you would only eat a certain type of food and live a certain way for three years after your mother's death to represent the amount of time you are you are dependent on your mother. That, that was the idea. Mm-hmm. Like zero to three, you're completely dependent on your mother. And so to respect her when she dies, this is what you did in, in some Eastern cultures. So in this book, there were some little nuggets there of... When you're, I think when Cooney's mom dies, right, he had to go for thirty days or something like that. Sixty. There were some. I think it was something like sixty. Right. There yeah. were some. There was some root there that had to happen, and also another mimic. There was some cultural element there where you didn't name your kid for a hundred days. Yeah. Uh, because you, didn't, they could probably die. There was a high mortality rate, which is also influenced on real world societies, mm-hmm. so and so forth. So I thought it was really cool how it brought some elements that I'm more unfamiliar with and brought me and opened up to so them was like oh that's that's really interesting and then the yeah. tie that all bow not bow tied at the end the gods were so interesting i the my one negative of the world and the world building would be that i got confused on which <laughs> god was which and who was on whose side yeah. we got so little the gods i wish we got more and I wish mm. I understood more of their motivations. And that's just me for me being like, you know, I'm just reading it, going through, and not like, it, I, I try to write down the notes of like, okay, this god's on this side, but then I have to go back and look. And it just wasn't super clear. I knew there were the twins with Kokuru, and there was F- F- Tholomew,
0: something. You get what I mean. I do. Okay. The gods were confusing to me. Yeah. That, that was, I could not get those names straight. I couldn't get many of the names straight, but. The gods were up there. You've done a spectacular job for names based on how you typically do. I wrote them down this time. That's... Big brain. Big brain. That's what I did. (laughs) Now, do I pronounce them correctly? No. You you did. I pronounced some of them better than others. I'm not even going to try again. Oh, oh, wait, wait. (laughs) Mapitare. Better. Emperor... Okay, I got it.
1: I got yeah, it now. You got it, it took me the whole video to get there. Yeah. That's our little that's character your, arc. That's your character arc. Yeah. yeah. Every <laughs> every episode we learn something.
0: But uh yeah. Hey, let us know what you think about this book. What do you think about our new review? Do you like us actually going through the plot kind of point by point, or is that too much? Do you just want us to get right into our thoughts on it and kind of jump around? Up to you, what do you think. And if you're interested in yeah. supporting us, go down below, check out our Patreon, and join us for the next book club. For our next book, we're actually doing Dracula and Mort from yeah. Discworld. That's going to be first spooky month, yeah. Spooky month, Spooktober.
1: Yeah, well, exactly what Rich said. If so, going over that plot summary, do you want us to do that, but condense it down more, get more detailed, or just throw the, just let us know, give us all feedback. We tried it. This was a long one, a fun one. This was a, a long one. Like we don't have air conditioning down here because we have to turn it off so <laughs> that the uh, that the air conditioning doesn't get picked up on the mics. So when it hits about that gets close to two hour mark, you start to feel that sweat coming. Yeah, a little bit. Oh.
0: All right. Bye bye everyone. Bye
1: bye. <laughs>